Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Carol Petz. Hello. And for the last time ever, although it's not the last time ever, James Diamond. Hi. I'm already, I'm already in bed. <laughs> it's not. I've it's... been drinking a lot as well. It's not helping. Well, yeah, we, we, it is, it is allegedly your last ever podcast, but I'm not sure we're going to get rid of you that easily. It's my last it's regular not podcast. Be his last it's my ever last podcast, regular podcast. No, I'm definitely back for the end of year one because the reason I set up this thing in the first place was to host and rig my own award show. <laughs> I'm clearly going to be back for that. By the way, none of the previous ones have been rigged. Uh, I haven't needed to, so that's fine. Just getting that out there. You say that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yes, there'll be, there'll be more on that um, later. Possibly James will cry. He cries at a lot of things. So yeah, I, I will. I've written a speech and everything. It's, it's going to be hugely emotional. Okay. <laughs> but Maybe you though, the rest of us will just be checking our watches. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know my... you've already moved on. I know you've already moved uh, on. Probably. That's what hurts I've... even more. I just wish I could have found the music they play, the playoff people, when they rabbit on too much at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> just after five seconds, play. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm going to need Cole Kidman tonight. But yes, uh, starting with a quiz, uh, new rules for the quiz. It's pretty much next goal wins. Uh, the winner of this quiz, just this one edition, will be picking films for people to watch. Yeah. So... Um, Even though I am, I'm two nil nil up in in the times we've been doing it. It would be a cruel twist of fate if I wasn't to win this. And uh, yeah, just just letting you two know that it would be rather cruel if I didn't win this. Just just, <laughs> just putting it out there. That, that emotional blackmail in there. Why don't Why don't well, we have like just two guesses each, and that's it? If we don't get it, you win. How's that? I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I don't that like well. that. It's not very good. <laughs> that's in. Yes. Okay. 
Okay. Well, in 1998, uh, they were in Saving Private Ryan. Who wasn't? Who wasn't? I'll yeah. tell you who. Well, I'll tell you. Who, I can tell you who. <laughs> I can tell you who wasn't in there. I'll tell you who. I'll tell you who wasn't in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. True. There you go. That's true. Well, you true might fact. Have been somewhere. Yeah. Um, are you seeing Haley Joel Osment these days? By the way, he looks like the moon. It's really. <laughs> he's got a massive face. Anyway, um, Carol. Yes, Carol. Oh wait, so we're only getting two two guesses each, yeah, right? right? So we've got to make them count. All right, I'll I'll. I'll hold my fire. I'll keep my powder dry. Okay. Right, so is anyone guessing on this? No, this no, person? no. no. Right. Scared now, yeah. in, in the year 2000, they're in a film that was called Boiler Room. I know two people in that. <laughs> Carol? <gasps> yes, Carol? Giovanni Ribisi? No, this is oh. not Giovanni Ribisi. Okay. Uh, in 2001, they're in a film called Knockaround Guys. I'm going to jump forward here uh, okay. to 2006. They appeared in The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Come on. James. Yes, James. I'm going to say Vin Diesel. You are correct in your assumption. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fix. You've really, you've really yeah. just blatantly agreed and, and, you know, just basically confessed that this is all a fix. I feel, I feel there's been collusion. Oh, that feels beautiful. Right, okay. I've, I've got personalised picks for all of you here. Um, Steve. You are finally going to watch the final member on Netflix. <laughs> you're going to sit yes. down and you're going to watch a 75-minute documentary about a penis museum. And I want to hear about it on the next podcast. I didn't watch it when you were on the podcast. What makes you think I'm going to watch it now? <laughs> you will You will watch it. You, you've got a sense of... I can tell you've got a small bit of honour left there. Carol, I know you're a huge fan of terrible films. Love them. Um, and I want you to watch Danny Dyer's Run for Your Wife. Oh my god. <laughs> and Owen, Hang on, even I've got limits. You got the short straw. Owen, no, I, I, Doesn't even matter what I've got. Carol's got the short straw in that one. Because, because I've already been through it this week. And because it would please Matt so much. I'm going to be talking about it later. Um, I'm going to send you a copy of. Disney's 1981 action-adventure film, Condor Man. Yeah, I get it, and I'm happy with that. I'll take Condor Man. So I would love to hear... I will still be listening to the podcast when I'm gone. I'd love to hear your reviews of those next week. Would you? Okay. <laughs> you could. You could have made me watch Holy Motors again. Yeah, I know, but see, I'm not that cruel, Steve. I, I, I genuinely... I, see, because all... I, I think there's... Some redeeming features in all of those films. Possibly not run for your wife. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, you are talking... To, I mean, I have been known to get onto iPlayer and just fast-forward episodes of EastEnders just to get to the bits that Danny Dyer's in. There you go. So, I, I, I knew I knew there'd be... A, a, and also, none of those films are longer than 90 minutes long as well. I'm not I'm not really mean like when Owen made us watch about five days' worth of Transformers. <laughs> that, was, that was harsh. So, um... Uh, and. 
And I think Owen will find some stuff to like in Condor Man. And Steve, genuinely, it was one of my favourite documentaries from last year. It's a good film. It's because you like knobs. <laughs> <laughs> Classy. Sick as ever. On to some news now then. Um, and I suppose, well, Owen, you've sent me the news. You could lead with it. <laughs> Shall I lead on the news, even though you are now our master of news, posting yes. a weekly article on the website? I will lead on the news, okay. Um, that was that was a good plug there, by the yeah. way, Aaron. Oh, thank you. I'm sneaking these this in now. This is why I've handed the site over to him. He's <laughs> a fucking pro. Do you mean him? It's us. It's a collective. Yeah, it's, I know. No, it's, it's, no, it's mostly us. It's, it's, it's a consortium. <laughs> exactly. I just have, you know, 67%... Uh, oh, he's Alan <laughs> you, You're Nick, Steve, and Carol is um, Karen Brady. That, that's how I see it. Now, hang on a minute. <laughs> Let's not say things you can't take back. Uh, yeah, I, okay, yeah, news. What is the news? The news, I suppose, the good news to start with um, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg collaborating on a new film, apparently. It's been confirmed. They're definitely doing something else, even though everyone thought The World's End. Which was supposed to be the final in the Cornetto trilogy, um, would be their last movie together. It apparently isn't. They've not revealed what the name of this film is or what it's about yet. But I think that's quite a nice little bit to to get us going to start with. Well, I mean, I'm pleased about that. I don't know about you guys. I'm well, Beetleman. They just He's just taken the script and he's put Simon Pegg in it and it'll be set in Britain. <laughs> so so Nick Nick Frost will be Hank Pym and Simon Pegg will be Scott what's Wasp. name? Scott Lang. That's the that's the, Scott that's Lee the... and Hank Pam. And uh, <laughs> it'll be about a fan of the Liverpudlian band who also has an army of Beatles. Brilliant. I I'm definitely gonna see it. Um <laughs> But yes, I suppose Edgar Wright's got time on his hands now after I think he's got a couple outline. of things lined up now, hasn't he? He's 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 like the the boyfriend that's been dumped. That's going. No, I'm no, I'm busy. I am busy. Um, <laughs> I, I am getting on with my life. Hmm. He's just shagging around now, isn't he? Yeah. After being dumped, he's gone mad. He's gone back to his ex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yes, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to it. Whatever they decide to do, whether it's a another kind of something along the lines of, of what they've done with the Cornetto trilogy. I don't know if there's any more flavours of Cornetto left for them. There's they've those obviously... new ones with a flake stuck in them. They're not as good as they have got like Oreo ones, haven't yeah. they? Not yeah. as good as they should be. <laughs> no. But, um, but yeah, well, you but, know, I yeah. think there's a lot of goodwill towards them anyway, whatever the project's going to be, because of how good their previous stuff yeah. has been. Yeah. So. And let's just let's just... Make it clear again. The World's End wasn't a bad film, regardless mm. of what other people have said. That's been annoying me again recently. Well, if, if we've learnt one thing on this podcast, it's that um, everyone else is wrong. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thought for the day. It only Thank took you. us two years and two and a half years, but we've got there. Everyone else is wrong. Yes, and we are yes. right. Yeah. Okay. We we are also bigger than Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> That can be the tagline for Beetleman. Um, (laughs) The other bit of news, which I also think is quite good news, um, 
is the fact that The Rock has definitely confirmed that he'll also be in a movie, and that's going to be as either Black Adam or Shazam in an upcoming DC movie, which is good news. Um, I know nothing about these characters, Owen. Nothing about them. them. What are they? Who are they? Shazam the or, first one also just sounds known really racist. Black Adam is yeah. well. We'll come to that, shall we? But <laughs> Shazam is basically a kid, Billy Batson, who says the magic word Shazam, and he turns into um, an adult superhero. And that sounds very lame. That is a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really crap premise. But honestly, the comics have been really good. It's okay. strange. It's one of those where the stories are actually quite. Um, so, so he's he's got a lot in common then, in, in a way, with Banana Man, who is <laughs> but, a child. Yeah. Who is a child who does one specific thing to turn into a, it, it a sounds gra- a bit they're like making a watch to me. They're making a <laughs> Banana Man movie. Yeah. I'm not even that. joking. Um I don't know if he's joining the Avengers or the Justice League. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which one which one he's in league with. Um but that's happening. Yeah. He's like a renegade. Um I mean, when I say Shazam and like nothing happens except my phone starts recording stuff off the TV, is that <laughs> nice. gonna be a superpower? Maybe. Like I mean, the, bring it up the, to date. His he, name he knows, is an he issue. He knows any song he hears in a pub. Like, yeah. That is a great, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great superpower. His name is an issue, though, because his original name was Captain Marvel, but he's a, D- a DC property. So there's oh, been a lot of legal issues around his name, which is really long-winded and there's no point. I think I read about that on Wikipedia once and it gave me a headache. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So he, cause he wasn't originally DC property and then they bought him and his name was already Captain Marvel and blah, blah, blah. So they changed his name to Shazam. But Shazam is also the magic word he says that turns himself into a superhero. Okay. And turns but did he say that, again. did he say that before he was called Shazam? Yes. Like when he was Captain Marvel, he's always saying Shazam. That's right. But no, yeah. his name is Shazam. So if he has to right. introduce himself, he'll start flipping between being a superhero or a young orphaned boy, which is. But does he have to say it, or could I? Or could I stood? Could I be stood next to him and say Shazam, and would he would he change? Or <laughs> is, it, is it specifically him that, that has could to be say massively it? Massively embarrassing, yeah. Or it what is happens, specifically him? Or what happens then if I've got a <laughs> tape recording of him saying Shazam, and I just play it like when he Shazam, <laughs> I want to turn back into a child because I'm the bad guy. Press play on this recorder, and it says it is him saying Shazam. What happens, Owen? <laughs> I, I don't know. This is why DC's world's going to And why? And why has? Um, and why has DC Comics not thought of this plot hole yet? There's just not been a brainy enough <laughs> supervillain yet to to yeah. take on that Who's challenge. Black Adam then? Black Adam is his arch nemesis, who was an ancient Egyptian who has the same power, which was bestowed on them by this wizard. Um, Does he say Black Adam though? No, he says Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Rock's genuinely signed up to this. The Rock has genuinely confirmed he'll be playing either I'll Black Adam it, or Shazam. Obviously. Honestly, Black Adam is a brilliant supervillain. He is just fantastic. A proper, tyrannical, wants to take over the world kind of supervillain who has the power to do it. So That's it's just going a to be a massive. supervillain, though. But he's, uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> That's enough. just like everyone just taking over the world. Oh, alright. And, you know, everyone can do it. 
when yeah. they have like the MacGuffin and then they have to be defeated. I like the rock, but I'm not really sure how Wade's going to be able to play a small orphan boy as you've just yeah. put it. Yeah. You know, he's gone method. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see the rock <laughs> pulling that off. He's just going to lose huge amounts exactly. of weight, Christian Bale style. <laughs> um, what else has been in the news then? Oh, Fright Fest, of course, starts this week. Starts on Thursday. That's pretty big news. Um, another plug for the website. We've got um, Mike Shawcross at Shawkey1969. will be covering it for us um, on Twitter. So we'll be retweeting his comments because he's actually going to Fright Fest. And he's pulled up two preview pieces on the website already. Um, so lots of things that are being covered there. You know, Sin City 2 um, gets its first screening at Fright Fest. Dead Snow 2, which I've heard... of an odd fit. It's not really a horror film, is it? No, it's um, just like their big, big uh, preview yeah. thing of, of the year. There's yeah. not a lot else coming out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but Dead Snow too. I've no, heard I didn't want to sound disparaging. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Wolf Creek too, as well, getting a lot of uh, plaudits as well. So there's quite a few Which good I think things. Mike that... saw in Glasgow actually, as well. Yeah, yeah, Mike saw that in Glasgow, and he quite enjoyed it. So, Apparently, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this, yeah, it's worth looking uh, into. I think there's quite a few things coming out that I'm interested in as a, sort of a horror film fan as well. So. Uh, and I think All Cheerleaders Must Die is actually on Netflix US as well. So you can even check that out before finding about what's going on at Fright Fest. Well, that's one it for the news, I think, well, Steve. To, there's just one other. Um, we missed it last week and just you know don't want to completely pass. Uh, Lauren Bacall sadly died as well, which mm. was a real shame because she is a classy woman, brilliant actress, and coined the phrase the Rat Pack while Frank Sinatra was still only... A hanger on basically. Um, I've, I've read a few years ago now, read a fantastic book about the Rat Pack. Uh, but yeah, Lauren Bacall, brilliant, brilliant actress, and, and that's a real shame as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so yes, that's the end for part one. Up next, we'll be having uh, our usual look at what we've been watching in the last week or so. Uh, what we've been watching now, where we take a look at the films we've uh, seen over the last seven days or so. Uh, I haven't really seen anything, but I did see Guardians of the Galaxy for a second time. No real point going over um, the film again, because it's been talked about to death. But, interesting that I suppose so many people, as Carol mentioned, have paid to see it more than once. Um... Yeah, I saw it twice at, at preview and I want to go again because I still haven't seen the end credit scene. I, I do want to go just for that. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, I've oh, seen it yeah. already, unfortunately. You know I spoiled it for my yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know what's in it, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I know you're about probably about the fourth person who said to me, oh, I went to see it again. And that's, um, you know, none of these people have unlimited cards. They've actually paid out and, you know, it's obviously quite a lot of money. Uh, mm. it, it's just it's unprecedented I, I know people I, who I, just, didn't really enjoy it very much what's that? yeah I was going to say I've known people who didn't really enjoy it that much on the first viewing and still some for some reason went to see it again and enjoyed it a lot more on the second viewing oh, so, oh that's interesting yeah yeah interesting I, I really improved. enjoyed it because I, I missed the um, I missed the podcast where you reviewed it and just to Chip in, I loved it. Uh, really, really enjoyed it uh, as as I kind of expected to, because I think I picked it in my um, triple bill 
you did. summer picks. Um, yeah. And it lived up to my expectations. It was absolutely brilliant, funny film. Really, really enjoyed it. Everyone was great in it. Um, and yeah, I'm desperate to watch again because I keep coming across um, kind of internet memes which then remind me of it. And there was one day <laughs> someone just posted a picture of a raccoon stood up, like in real life, it was like in a, an American picture, a raccoon at someone's um, patio door. And it said, uh, I've got a plan, I need your leg, please. Or something. Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, I really want to go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. Um, because it, it was, it was such great fun. And I know, I know you guys mentioned it on the podcast. Um, it, it did feel a little bit like a, a Star Wars for our generation. It was really nice to see this grand, funny, action packed space opera. So, um, yeah, I, I am going to be one of those people that also go and pay and see it for a second time, definitely. Blimey. Okay. Um, yes, Carol, what have you seen this week then? Um, this week I have not seen a lot, but I did go to Film 4 Summer Screen on Saturday, um, where you go to Somerset House and you sit on the cobbles for four hours and uh, watch a couple of films on a massive screen. It was freezing, by the way. Um, so I ostensibly went for Ghostbusters, as did, as did half the audience, because unfortunately then half the audience got up and left after Ghostbusters, uh, which was amazing. I'm not going to review it again. It's the best movie ever made, etc. etc. It's really, really funny. <laughs> I, I got quite drunk. It was hilarious. The second movie was uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which I've never seen. Uh, I have no idea how I've never seen this film. I, 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 I have no idea. I think it must have been. I think it's like a fifteen, and I think I was probably too young mm. when it first came out, and it kind of sunk without trace. And and it was one of those films that was a bit of a bomb. I think. Well, that's what the uh, the guy who introduced it said. It was a bit of a flop, but it's mm. been kind of uh, held up since as a as a really good fun film that's kind of stood the test of time so if you haven't seen it um kurt russell is like just literally the most indiana jones piss take person you, you've ever seen in your life uh it's just like the anti-indiana jones um and he uh, loses a card game I think, as I said, I was actually quite drunk by the time the film came <laughs> on. Um, and it's got uh, Sam, uh, Samantha from Sex and the City in it. Uh, and she gets basically kidnapped uh, by this chap who needs to marry her so he can take physical form. You know, it's just a normal thing, really. You know, just just your average thing. Um, yeah, as I said, I was actually quite drunk because um, they did have this amazing whiskey where they basically put anything... Uh, amazing hot chocolate where they put whiskey in it for you which was just lovely because I was really really cold at this point but um, yeah it's fantastic it was highly entertaining and as James said earlier I think probably best to see it when you are drunk it's just so much more <laughs> much more fun um, it's just like it, it's like a really uh, high concept B movie really isn't it yeah. and um, yeah, yeah it's, it's tremendous fun it's like a more tongue in cheek Indiana Jones uh, Kurt Russell's just a really good uh, front man. He's got he's got the charisma to carry it off, and it's just suitably suitably cheesy, I think, for a a late night late night film. It's the sort of thing you'd expect to see on film four at one in the morning. Yes, yeah, I, I watched it as a teenager and and fell in love with it then because it's utterly bonkers. Um, and it comes right in that John Carpenter golden streak of um, the thing. Uh, Escape from New York, uh, They Live, Big Trouble in Little China. He was just, yeah, his, some of his 80s output was absolutely incredible. And I'm just going to say right now, as my going away present from the podcast, 
at some point you're going to have to induct John Carpenter into the Corridor Praise, and I am coming back <laughs> for that podcast. I'm saying that right now. Um, you're coming back for any everything. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I'll be gone for a couple of weeks, and I'll be begging to come back. Um, but no, I, I do genuinely love Big Trouble in Little China, and um, and you're right about Kurt Russell. He he is so good in that film. He's just he's just a really good front man. He's kind of this square lantern. He's a bit like he reminded me a little bit of Bruce Campbell in it, really, in that he's not really someone who you'd pick to be the leading man in that sort of thing. But he kind of keeps a straight face and and just kind of carries it through the ridiculousness of it all. Yeah. James, which film are you reviewing for us on your last ever podcast? Possibly. I know. I, I watched a load of films this week. For once. I'm not just you. Um, I went to sit, I took my daughter to a Frozen sing along uh, showing at the Odeon, which. Oh, um, God, I can't imagine it. Yeah, I know, and I can imagine Owen's <laughs> toes curling up at the thought yeah. of that. And, uh, and do you know what? Ten years ago, me would have looked at that and kind of rolled his eyes and sneered a little bit. I had such great fun with her. I, I, actually, I had genuine fun with my. It was really lovely. She's nearly four now. And she got dressed up in a, a princess's dress, and she went and she belted out the songs. And yeah, uh, this is my daughter who a year ago could barely string four words together, and there she was singing about frozen fractals. And I was wow. Um, so I just want to say thanks to Frozen because her obsession with that's actually really helped her. And there, of... and there were you stood in your princess's dress, not being able to string four <laughs> words together. <laughs> That's right, I had a few drinks beforehand. And, um, um, I also watched The Heat this week, which I think Jerry, God, do you remember Jerry? Uh, um, he, he reviewed on there one of his last podcasts. Um, I watched Enough Said, which is actually a really lovely film. James Gandolfini's penultimate film with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Really nice, kind of quite gentle comedy, as I'm getting old, uh, about old people. Old people, I say, you know, kind of divorcees getting together. But the film I do want to talk about is a film that um, our good friend Matt Lamborn has been dying to get me to see. So long. Matt Lamborn's recommended a few films to me over my time on the podcast. Uh, one of the early ones was Rampage uh, by Uwe Boll. Uh, probably Uwe Boll's best film. That's not saying a lot. That's and not it's... a good three words to put after a film, is it? Yeah, by exactly. Uwe um, which, do you know what? I, I still think was technically a well-made film. I just found it, I found I needed a shower afterwards. It was a really, really difficult watch. Um, I can't remember what else he's made. <laughs> I'll destroy all monsters, which was actually just bonkers and mad, uh, which I didn't mind. But Condor Man was his, one of his picks for his, um, decade of film 1981. It was one of his five favorite films from 1981. Um, it's one of those kind of live-action, family-friendly Disney films that seem to be everywhere during the 70s, 80s. The kind of race to which mountain and Herbie and stuff like that. Um, all before Disney remembered how to make incredible animated films and started doing that again. It stars, believe it or not, Michael Crawford, um, who, to me, will always be Frank Spencer. Uh, I don't know about you guys. You, Some others do have them. Yeah, definitely. To, to yeah, me, I, he'll always be Cindy's brother. Oh dear God! There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna miss that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Michael Crawford, Frank Spencer, um, as an American, I think he's American. The accent's a bit odd, a bit difficult to place. Uh, comic book writer called Woody Wilkins, who's created this character called Condor Man, 
um, who actually really looks like that Colombian football fan at USA '94 that used to hang off the the upper tier. That that was win. that was con. That, yeah, that was Condor Man, wasn't it? Was that actually that, based that on that the Disney actual? Film? Well, I don't know, but that was his actual name. The name of the guy, the Colombian. Fan, oh, okay, he was, he was actually called Condor yeah. Man. I yeah. like. I'd like to think he was heavily influenced by Michael Crawford in that case, because this is from '81. So that's, that's interesting. Um, now, Woody Wood, Woody Wilkins' shtick is that he won't put anything in his comics that couldn't happen in real life, and so the film opens with him dressed as Condor Man, which is just this guy, like I say, looking like that Columbia fan from USA '94 with huge mechanical wings, jumping off the Eiffel Tower and landing in the Seine. To and Henry Mancini did the score for this, this bizarre, insistent score where it builds up, dun 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 dun, and then a choir goes, Condor Man, and it's it's like, oh my god, are they, is he taking the piss? Is it, and loads of this film just feels like they've got fuck it, let's take the piss, uh, and so they let's get Henry Mancini, but make him just do the score where people go, Condor Man, over and over again. Happens loads in the film. Uh, now, Woody is, like I say, he's a comic book um, writer, but his best friend is a CIA operative, obviously. Um, and he decides to do his mate a favour and deliver some documents to a Russian contact in Istanbul. Um, and, yeah, God, this is how Edward Snowden happened. You don't get comic book writers <laughs> to deliver secret documents. It's, it's such a naive Cold War mentality. Um and, um, but Woody can't help living out this Billy Liar-esque fantasy, so he tells this sexy female Russian spy that he he's a spy and his code name is Condor Man. He starts living out this fantasy, uh, and obviously hilarity ensues uh, as it should do. Um, it turns out that the Russian woman wants to defect, and she tells the CIA and she'll only speak to Condor Man. So they have to they basically go, well, you're just going to have to go and get this Russian spy to defect because that's how the intelligence agency works. It's just the way <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, to be fair, it's made for kids, but it's bizarrely naive, especially when you consider the world we live in these days. It's this ref- almost refreshingly naive um, uh, kind of world environment they're in. Um, I will say, Michael Crawford's actually pretty good in the main role. He, he, it's really weird seeing him, but um, he's as good as the very bad, but slightly tongue-in-cheek script allows him to be. Um He's, he's a very good physical comic, as anyone who's seen some others do have will know, and he, he kind of uses that. And he is the shining light in what is otherwise a pretty terrible film, I'll be honest. Um, it's got Oliver Reed as the main Russian bad guy. Um, it's also got a guy with a, a metal eye as the kind of scary henchman. Weird. He drives around in a black Porsche, and inside his Porsche, black Porsche, he is wearing a black jumpsuit and a black crash helmet with black visor which I, I found really weird he's, he's got the visor down inside his car which is odd and is, whenever it, is, he it, stopped, uh, is it convertible it's not convertible no uh-huh. and oh, so <laughs> he's st- Michael Crawford gets away and he stops his car and he wipes down his window and then lifts his visor and then looks out the window looking to see where Michael I'm thinking you'd catch up with him if you didn't wear the fucking crash helmet to be honest it's a bit weird um uh, there is a great car chase with uh, a fleet of Porsches chasing after <laughs> this weird Borat-esque gypsy caravan that turned into a sports car. It's it's utterly mental. Um, I can't wait to see this film. Yeah, it, 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 there are kind of like Fast and Furious levels of 
fun here. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but then there's there's a boat chase towards the end, which reminded me a little bit of Face Off. Actually, I think Face Off was heavily heavily influenced by Condor Man towards the end. But this boat that he's driving is shooting out lasers, which hit the water and cause flames and explosions. <laughs> I'm just watching. How does a laser cause water to set on fire? It's this bizarre um, <laughs> science fiction set piece. Science. <laughs> Yeah, it's just fucking yeah. ludicrous. Uh, it, essentially, it's a bumbling film that lurches from badly staged set piece to potential racism and back again. At one point, Michael Crawford disguised himself as uh, an Arab sheikh in the early 80s. You can imagine that was very culturally sensitive. There's also did he, a did he have a tea towel on his head? What was that supposed to be? I said, did he have a tea towel on his head as, as the Arab shape? Yes, yeah, essentially. Yeah. There's a bit where they're in Yugoslavia and they're disguised as gypsies. Gypsy. <laughs> <laughs> really bad. Um, uh, and, and yeah, thanks, Matt, but it's a terrible film. I'm, I'm sure, do you know what? It is exactly the kind of film that I think if you watched it when you were growing up, you'd go back and you'd have fond memories and there's a nostalgia. If you watch it as a cold, cynical 34-year-old, it's such a terrible film. Um, but it just about gets into that it's actually quite entertaining in its badness range that I think there is some enjoyment to be had from it. I certainly don't regret watching it, but I, I can't objectively say it's anything other than terrible. So um, I'm going to love it then, you... basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you change Thanks my penance, please? I feel like I've really drawn the short straw here. Do you know what? Do you want to swap, agrees, Owen? If Owen agrees to watch Run for Your Wife instead, <laughs> I might just see if I'll I can get hold of Condor Man just for just for the laugh. We should both. We, I think Owen. I think we should both watch both. I'll, of them. I'll send a copy to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So finally, then, for what we've been watching, Owen, what have you seen? Um, I uh, went to see Expendables 3, the Expendables 3, um, uh, when did I see that, last week, I think, or the weekend. Um, we've talked about Expendables 2 on the previous podcast, it was one of our new release reviews. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember we all kind of generally agreed that it was quite good, actually. It was I, decent. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme was awesome in it. Brilliant, um, as a villain. Just in everything. Yeah, of course well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Just yeah. goes without saying. It was, and and the state was good, and yeah, no, it, it was it was, and um, I think you uh, said this in uh, your feature that you did on the uh, on the website. It was definitely better than the uber serious, taking itself far too seriously first film, which I found rather disappointing. I thought the second one hit the tone far more about the fact that do you know what it's about a load of old action stars getting together sharing their one-liners and having a bit of a laugh and that's what the second one did for me yeah great okay so i haven't remembered that no uh, no no you're right because no, we, we, yeah. we genuinely quite enjoyed it good um but i know that you two you and carol are <laughs> avoiding expendables three um but i'll come on to that a bit later yeah. yeah yeah we'll, we'll yeah, come that, i'm sure yeah, let's, let's talk about that after the actual. But I'll talk about yes. the actual film uh, itself first, shall I? Um, I liked it. I'm gonna. Uh, I mean, I do like these sort of films anyway. I like Stallone. Um, I kind of like the idea of the Expendables of getting this group of old action action film heroes together again and 
giving them cheesy one-liners and over-the-top elaborate action set pieces to do. I quite, I quite like that. That's all it is, though. I mean, if you're not into that kind of film, you're not gonna like Expendables 3. Um, because there's nothing more to it than that. Um, but as it happens, um, the, the actual plot of the story is basically they've, they've continued it with the, the same crew, um, who go on a mission, and Terry Crews gets shot by the bad guy, and the latest bad guy is played by Mel Gibson, who is really good, actually. Um, there's a scene um, in particular where he's inside a truck, and it's hard to sort of explain it without making it sound really crap, but he's inside a truck, and he's just in- intimidating Stallone. He is just really menacing. I mean, Mel Gibson's performances have been a bit iffy over the years, but this is really just like... He's let go with this. He's just full-on psychopathic, and it's brilliant. He's really good. Um, but the rest of the cast are all there, so you've got the old people again. Um, Statham's back. Lundgren's back. Um, uh, Schwarzenegger's back, of course. Um, but then you've got uh, added uh, old action heroes who've not been in the, the, the series before, such as Wesley Snipes, fresh out of prison, straight into Expendables. Um, Antonio Banderas. Pardon? Is that his probation? Probation. That's, yeah, he was <laughs> let especially to go and blow shit up and throw knives then at we'll people. Then we'll see if you can his do His probation your own officer film is yeah. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a film. And they make a reference to it as well in the film. It's a bit like, mm, is that too far? No, that's fine. We'll let it go. Um, and yeah, Antonio Banderas is in it and he's, he steals the spotlight to, to be quite honest. Um, as does Wesley Snipes actually in the, in the early part of the film. And Harrison Ford is in it as well, um, flying a helicopter, much like he would the Millennium Falcon. So there's lots of like references to the older films that they've been in. Um, Kelsey Grammer's in it as well, and he's pretty good. He has a little bit of um, humour rather than action to the to the yeah, proceedings. So he's not exactly. It's just actually. Uh, he's not exactly a well-known action star, is he? No. Well, when his best-known action films are X Men: The Last Stand and Transformers Four, yeah. I mean, he's not gotten there on merit from his action skills, has he? But um, as a, you know, he he adds a bit of humour to it rather than blowing shit up. And he's really good as well at that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's got slight pacing issues, the film. Beginning kind of sets the bar a bit too high for them to maintain the momentum. Um, It starts off really just completely ridiculously over the top as they break out Wesley Snipes from his uh, imprisonment. And it's yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a really good scene, actually. Um, and then it, it does tail off a little bit. It's only really Kelsey Grammer that keeps it going as the new young recruits are, um, are, are brought into the film. You've got Glenn Powell, uh, Ronda Rousey, Victor Ortiz, people I've no idea who they are. I've Kellen Lux Victor as well. Ortiz, but the rest of them. I think Ronda Rousey is some kind of, UFC for women, right. you know. Yeah, okay. I don't know who Glenn Powell is. Never seen him before. Kellen Lutz apparently is someone from the Twilight films, um, and he was also in the new Hercules film with Scott Adkins that I've not seen yet, um, which I've heard is absolutely fucking diabolical. Uh, but actually, Kellen Lutz he was all right in this. He was quite good. He was the best of the four, but generally they're really boring. And to be perfectly honest, nobody's watching Expendables to watch these people. You watch it to see. Harrison Ford, you watch it to see Sylvester Stallone, you watch it to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just, there's too much screen time given to these, these new guys. Um, 
and they're not interesting enough. And it's only really then, towards the end, when Antonio Banderas again pops back up and he sort of takes over things and he's brilliant. And that's when it comes to life in the final act. And actually, the final act is tremendous. There's an actual, like, proper big explosive action sequence, which you kind of expect from a film like this. And generally, they can be quite tedious and there's not actually anything going on. You can't make it, what's happening. But they get everything really just spot on. It's a really good action scene towards the end. With every, you know, like in Avengers, where you've got loads of different characters all doing different things, but you've got a, like a, a firm idea of who is where and when, who's doing what, what their involvement is, and you can actually see everything they're doing. It's, yeah. It kind of reminded me of Avengers in that sense, um, like because you've got loads of these characters, rather than Transformers, because <laughs> <laughs> you can actually make out who's who and what they're doing yeah. um, for a start. And there's some good little um, stunts in there. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, it is a really good um, finale, actually. So, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be up for an Expendables 4 or um, the rumoured Expendables, which casting hasn't been um, announced yet if it's going to go ahead. But, you know, that'll be the all-female it, cast. Who, who so, would be in that, then, as, like, female action stars? You've got to have Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, obviously. Sigourney Weaver, yeah, yeah. probably. Linda Angelina Hamilton. Jolie, maybe. Linda Hamilton. That's a good one. Who's that um, Mexican lady who pops up in pretty much everything? She was in Fast and Furious, I think. Oh, yeah, I, know, I can see her face, but Michelle I can't Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez. Rodriguez yeah, yeah, Michelle Rodriguez. She's bound to be in it. She's in. If you need a female action star, she's just pretty much the go-to one at the moment. Rosario Dawson? Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But you know, I'd be up for this. I think this sounds like a good film to me. I don't uh, think they're gonna ca- I don't think they're gonna cast you in it, Owen. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> no. Um the um thingy who was in that Steven Soderbergh film. She's uh what's her name? She played the female assassin I can't remember the name of the film though. Oh yeah, and yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't remember her. In Haywire. Yeah. Haywire is the film oh, but Gina her. um Gina Caruso, no. It's something like that. Something like that. Her, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her. God, She'd be good. We're so pro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess what, what I alluded to earlier um, is the fact that you two are boycotting it because it's a 12A. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't see anything in it that had been toned down from previous films except for the fact there wasn't any CGI blood. That seemed about the only difference. People still get stabbed. <laughs> People are machine gun left, right, and centre. Do you know that's my issue? That, yeah. that yeah. is actually my issue. Is the fact that it is not it's not so much about this film as such. It's the fact that our rating system is so skewed that oh, if you cut out a few of the frames with some CGI blood, it's fine to show potentially a six-year-old because obviously twelve. If it was just a straight twelve, it might be a bit different. But the fact is, children younger than that can get in there. It seems weird. I, I'm like, it, to me, it just I'm just a bit unsettled by the fact that children under 12 could have, if their parents choose to, or if an older relative, older brother or sister chooses to take them to see it, seems a bit weird that that's, all, that's the only difference. Yeah, I, and I had this issue with Taken, uh, Taken 2 as well. Um, mm. There's a lot of things that you cannot get away with in a 12A film. You cannot get away with, say, Cunt. You cannot get away with um, certain sexual scenes and things like that. 
but you can get away with stabbing someone in the neck, shooting them in the face, and taking revenge on the people who forced your daughter into a life of sexual slavery. It just seems a little bit... I, as I think long as there's no blood. <laughs> as long as there's yeah. no blood and as it's long as they don't fine. swear. It yeah. seems a little bit skewed and a bit weird. And it's, the other issue I've got is this kind of how every film seems to be aiming for that 12... And it ties into this debate we had a little while ago. I am, mm. I think it's a bit sad that we are seeing the death of the 15 and the 18 rated films because there is a place for adult entertainment. But a, a load of these films are aiming for that 12A. But I would argue, I, I, I genuinely love to know how many 12 to 15 year olds went to see Expendables 3 because I really think that there, that isn't a demographic for this film. Loads of these people won't even know who the fuck Wesley Snipes is. No, exactly. Mm. And, and and I think, I, I and I can see why Stallone has come out and made quite an eloquent defence of why his film went for that. I, I can see why he's done that. However, it didn't, I bet it didn't sound eloquent when he said it. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you only said it's eloquent because it was written down. down. <laughs> <laughs> what it actually came out was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like David Beckham. <laughs> He but, can sound as eloquent as he likes on paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, yeah, I can see why he's done that because do you know what? He's he's loyal. The studio have backed him. He's clearly going to do them a favour by standing up for what is clearly a studio decision. Um, mm. And they think, well, if we go for twelve A, then we've automatically got a bigger audience to sell this movie to. However, I, I do think there at some point there will be a backlash from grown-ups who like their films to be grown-up who go stop watering down our films and give us the films that we want to see for example there are two people on this podcast who have said for that very reason i'm not going to see that film until do you know what the proper uncut version ends up on sky movies or something like that yeah that's when i'll watch it i'm not going to watch this watered down version which they've watered down for no reason other than to appeal to a demographic which isn't going to go and watch it anyway yeah, but, I think. But it's then just a all really they've watered down cynical... though is the blood. So but it's the principle of the matter. For... Yeah, the principle can. Yeah. The principle of the thing. It's the principle. Uh, uh, yeah, the fact is, and, and I think I said this for taking to. I know that's what they've watered down, but it's not the film that they made. They made a film. I want to see the film that they intended to make, and I think I said this with taking to. They are releasing a film that they know it has bits taken out that they they rather they didn't have to take out. If mm. they could get away with showing the blood for a 12A audience, they would. So they've taken yeah. out bits of the films they'd rather leave in. So that's why I'm not going to go and watch it. Because well, it I think it's the same thing again, though, is they've gone for a PG-13, isn't it, rather yeah. than and that, a that's 12A? The other, and that's the other issue, yeah, that the PG-13... doesn't issue, translate It doesn't well translate to a 12A. To, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that that's another problem we've got as well which does mean that we end up but again pg-13 that's the other issue is the fact that (laughs) kids are seeing this kind of stuff but there's loads of other stuff they can't see in the pg-13 which i think is actually perfectly normal you know a bit of language um a bit of do you know what a bit of nudity and stuff like that i think is potentially less harmful than some of the violence and more specifically the themes in these films uh, that kind of suggest that violence is okay. So I'm not saying that kids are going to go out and copy all that. I'm not one of those who believes that kids copy everything they see on film, but 
I'm just confused as to why extreme violence is okay, but kind of two people having sex, and not even like full heart, yeah, you know, but you know, showing a bit of stuff, people, oh no, panic. And swearing, oh, I'm drunk and I'm annoyed. Sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> I think it's fair it's to say we all hate that. ratings. Yes. If we could just have, for each film, just a little like pop-up on the menu, which shows you the parental guidance bit from IMDb, everyone would be much happier. Just sort oh, the actually, actual my, rating. My last, my last issue, actually, is I know that this isn't the demographic, and not necessarily for Expendables, but a few other films that have managed to get themselves down to a 12A those screenings aren't as much fun to be in as a grown-up who wants to go and watch a film as 15 and 18 films, which generally attract grown-ups. That's the other thing else. Hmm. I don't want kids yeah. in my screenings of action films, basically. Yeah, nobody wants kids in their screening of Dread. No. No. It's just awful. Well, The Raid 2, even. Two and a half hours of screaming kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was just going to say. As someone who sat through a double bill of The Raid and The Raid 2 with... Ostensibly grown-ups, but someone who was basically like screaming throughout the whole thing. Every time someone broke a bone, he sort of made an audibly, audibly <laughs> sickened sound. It wasn't particularly fun, to be perfectly honest. No. It did actually get as, as it went on, it got funnier. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I I can't be doing with that. I just think it's a horribly cynical uh, kind of stance to take, really. And yeah, I, I know that Stallone's come out with. Um, with, with a great defence of it, etc. But he has to because he's directed it, doesn't he? Mm. So, um, um, not really well, he's not pieces. directed this one. He he's not directed this one. one. I take it back. He's no. in it though, yeah. so he, he has to. He, he can't. I think he, he, he wrote it. it. He, he wrote, he, what, it. he wrote, wrote he, it. Okay. Yeah, he wrote the script. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's got to. You know, he can't come out and say, "Yeah, this is a load of rubbish." Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I, I just don't. I don't go in for any. I haven't seen the the twelve A remake of RoboCop. Total Recall. I haven't seen the last Die Hard. I won't be seeing this because uh, I just yeah, there's, the... there's no point. Actually, Total Recall is the only one of those that I've seen, and that was purely because we were doing it for this. You're right. I they, I, I didn't go and see Die Hard because it was I just couldn't be bothered eight. to yeah. be honest because the last one was so awful. Well, yeah, there's that as well. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was wasn't terrible. Just it was twelve eight <laughs> terrible reviews and yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same, well, do you know what? Maybe those terrible reviews are because you've just watered down this compromise of a film rather than making a bloody good adult action film. That that was the least of the issues yeah, with Die Hard 5. But I honestly yeah. think that the um the kind of the adult not adult film market as I was just about yeah. to say. Uh the the kind of adult audience for the film for for films, I do think it's interesting. We we seem to be sort of graduating towards comedies because fifteen comedies are really mm. really mm. on the up. And it's amazing. I think the, the two highest rated comedies this year are both 15s. I think it's Bad Neighbours and 22 Jump Street. Which is... And, and obviously now the in-betweeners as well. That's doing phenomenal oh. business. Uh, somehow. And, yeah. And, and, and actually, think at 22 Jump Street. I'd, I'd much rather a 12-year-old watch 22 Jump Street than I would <laughs> something like Expendables or Taken <laughs> 2. Or so. that, 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 to me, shows how skewed our whole... The whole rating system is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best example um, that you can give with the rating system, especially in America, is for language. So there's this, uh, there was this film about two years ago. Uh, it was a Weinstein film called Bully. Bully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that got, I think that got like the highest. I think that got R rated. R rated, didn't it? Yeah, because, for because language, of language. Even though it was more culturally important for kids to see that film 
than it is for Expendables 3. Yeah. I think the King's Speech got it as well. I think the King's yes. Speech came down in, in rating because it was meant to be a 15. And then they rate it 12A over here because they judged it to be... You can have... Culturally important. You're, yeah. yeah, you're allowed more than one fuck in a 12A if it's justified by the story. And it was justified by the story, but in, in the States they had the same problem where people yeah. were rating it higher. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't understand how you can treat those films where it's... it's well, in the case of Bully, it's, it's almost vital that kids see that, to be honest. Mm. And... And then say, but no, The Expendables 3 is absolutely yeah. fine. And, you know, Taken 2 is fine, as you said, with the daughter in a the, in the sex ring. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's all shut up a minute so we can have a break and then go <laughs> on to Triple Bill. <laughs> all right, Triple Bill now. Uh, and in, in memoriam, in honour, whatever, of James's <laughs> last podcast, we're going to do a rehash of the first ever Triple Bill we've done, which was... Basically, Desert Island DVDs. Yeah, which not us picking. Not like who? Come on, let be honest again. Who actually thought when we mentioned this a week ago that you had to pick films that were set on a desert island? Matt. No. <laughs> Matt did. <laughs> That's what Matt thought. I'm sure someone else yeah. did as well. I'm sure it was someone. No. Here. no. It was you, wasn't it, Carol? No. How many even oh. are there? <laughs> Apart from Castaway. <laughs> That's Matt, probably it. Matt lives on the Isle of Man, though, which is pretty much a desert so island. So everything's just set on island yeah. by default. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, that was that was the three films we take to um, watch on a desert island in the whole history of film. Yeah, um, that's it. But this this one is the three films we'd take to watch if we were going to be stuck on a desert island that we've seen since we started doing the podcast, or since the podcast started, because yeah. obviously not everyone here has been on the podcast since the podcast started. Just me and you, Steve. Just me yeah, and you. Yeah, just the... Uh, You're going to be the only the... original one. It's like Sugar Babes. Uh, they'll get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then there'll be three people who weren't the original ones. And then me, you and Jerry. I might have said this before. I don't know if I ever said it on air. I prefer, I prefer, me... to, think of, I prefer to think of it as Destiny's Child rather than Sugar Babes, but... And and I, and you and Jerry start another film podcast and call but, ourselves like the new original Sugar Babes. Or but, but, but if, no, because with a Destiny's Child analogy, it makes me Beyonce then. <laughs> you wish. I know. Yeah, we ain't ready um, for your jelly and we're ready, Steve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Um, I believe Owen has the, the films that were originally picked by us... Um, first time round. Yes, I'll start with your picks then. Um, you chose to start with Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. That was your first choice. Then you had Independence Day. Yeah. As your other choice. Yeah. And your third choice, because you couldn't pick Mighty Ducks 2, um, because that was the middle of a trilogy, well, and no, that I, went against your rules. Yeah. So you picked Escape to Victory as your third yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, there's no point picking... One film that's part of a trilogy. If you can't take, if you're not going to take the whole trilogy, so to be fair though, uh, Mighty Ducks Two is the best of the trilogy. If you were going it, to take one of those, it would be that one. It, and it does work as a standalone yeah. film as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, it only makes me want to watch three and one. <laughs> so yeah. So you you couldn't choose that, Jerry, no. who's no longer with us. Um, well, he's not. He's alive, but he's alive, but he's no longer <laughs> part of the team. Um, 
Well, he's part of the team. He still writes for the web. He's not a member of the current regular podcast crew. Uh, yeah. There we go. He doesn't big. write for the website. You just find articles of his that no one published from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like it's true. It all counts. <laughs> um, he chose Airplane, which was going to be one of my choices, I think, but then I didn't choose that one. That's a little spoiler for what's coming up. So he chose Airplane. He chose Seventh Seal, um, the Bergman film. and That was Jerry trying cho- to show off his kind of arty... Uh, well, if that wasn't Jerry showing off, choosing Pan's Labyrinth and then telling us because he can speak Spanish so he doesn't need subtitles, I'm pretty sure that was showing off. Yeah, that probably was. Actually. I'm that sure was... that Jerry saw The Seventh Seal the same way that everyone else did after watching Bill and Ted's Bogus <laughs> exactly. Journey. That's it. And wondering where that bit came from. That's exactly how he got into it. Everyone else did. <laughs> Just admit it, Jerry. Yeah. Um, and uh, James... Your choices, do you remember what they were? I do. Uh, the Muppets movie. Um, yeah, the, for... which you'd only seen two days before recording the podcast That's as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'll stand by that. Because uh, I have had to watch it a lot because my daughter got really into it and she just started loving Muppets Most Wanted as well. So that that kind of nearly made my list again. Um, <laughs> I think I had uh, Goodfellas, which I yep. think I said at the time is one of those films that it's on ITV too quite often and I'll be flicking channels come across it and then that's it I'm watching it until it finishes whenever I come across it I absolutely love that film and I think I went best in show didn't I you went best in show you teased yeah uh, Spinal Tap and then switched I think I was just trying to say look do you know what I like some of these less popular Christopher (laughs) Guest films I think that was because this is Spinal Tap probably should have been my choice, but I wanted to... T- I think I just wanted to say to people, you should watch Best in Show. It's a bloody brilliant film. I, I do think it's pretty much the equal of Spinal Tap, but it's just nowhere near as famous. I love Best in Show. Mm, it's I, it's so it's so wickedly observed as well. I've been around... When, when I was a kid, my mum was kind of into these uh, dog shows, and so I've been around those sorts of people. It's it's completely spot on. Yeah. It's really... <laughs> it's terrifying. You recognise everyone in that, in that <laughs> film. <laughs> Yeah, so that was it. I wasn't around then, so I haven't got any choices to no. read out. Okay. Yeah, I didn't join until the fourth episode, I think. Fourth just, or just three. You just want a, a random uh, HMV Jean-Claude Van Damme box set to wash up, I'm sure. You'd be happy <laughs> yeah. about any uh, Jean-Claude take Van Damme that. films. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, yes. Uh, so on to the new choices and the films that we have seen since uh, the podcast began. Uh, so James, you can start us off here. Okay then. Um, let me just find my notes here. Yeah, I genuinely had to think quite long and hard about this. Um, obviously, couldn't just be the best films I'd seen in the last couple of years. The Act of Killing, for example, is probably the best film I've seen in the last few years, and I certainly wouldn't want to watch that <laughs> once a year, let alone kind of uh, <laughs> once a week or once a day. Um, also had to try really hard not to fill my list with recent films, didn't you know? Because I have seen a load of new releases, and part of the reason I started the podcast and the site was to try and get kick my ass into going out to the cinema. Um, so I've gone for a bit of a mix of eras and genres and tone. And the first one I've gone for then uh, is Pumping Iron from 1977. Um, a few documentaries are in the running for this. Uh, the most Likely other one would have been the utterly brilliant King of Kong, which uh, brilliant, brilliant documentary. But what I think is that Pumping Iron would inspire me to get into shape uh, while I wait for my rescue. Um, 
So that you know, it, it's it's got a practical purpose as well as being a brilliant, brilliant documentary. For those of you who haven't seen it, shows the build up and the competition to the nineteen seventy five Mister Universe, uh, which was for amateur bodybuilders, and Mister Olympia, which was for professionals. Uh, the competitions in South Africa in seventy five, and it opens with a great undercard story of the rivalry between Mike Katz and Keith Waller, who's king of mind games. But then it really kicks into gear because we see Arnold Schwarzenegger in what is essentially his first ever film role, going for his sixth consecutive... Because, correct me if I'm wrong, Owen, I think you know a little bit more than me. Um, uh, Hercules in New York was after Pumping Iron, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 1969 or 1970, I think. And it was, that is a dreadful film. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely fucking awful. Um, it's not worth watching. Good. That, thank you. Um, <laughs> but in this, you know, in this film, he is—he's glamorous. He's funny. He's a bit odd. He's surrounded by women and other bodybuilders. He's got a huge um, group of people around him. I've just forgotten the word for a group of people that like what? What? What do you call it? Entourage. Entourage. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, but running up against him is Lou Ferrigno, who also became a movie star. Nowhere near as big as Schwarzenegger, obviously, who at the time is a partially deaf young man who trains in his basement with his dad. Um, and so, yeah, it's this really <laughs> kind of David Goliath story, fascinating character study, but also a really tense uh, and at times exciting portrayal of a sport that bemuses most outsiders. And I certainly have never had any interest in bodybuilding, but watching that film, I kind of wanted to go to the gym and get pumped up. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, pumping iron's my first choice, and like I say, I also think it's going to be some good motivation for me in my alone time on the island. Um, you know, you're not actually going on to this island. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm method podcasting. Uh, I, I, I spent the last week on a deserted island with a load of DVDs. Seeing what, what, what would help me most? Um, oh, I just looked over my collection. Oh, I see. And I, I probably thought about this. It's my last one. I'm going out with a bang. Um, <laughs> My next one is from 1988 and it's a film directly inspired by the podcast in a sense in that um, Jerry mentioned it when we did, I think our second podcast, possibly third, I think second, when our triple bill was child protagonists and Jerry's choice was My Neighbour Totoro. And at that point I had never seen a Studio Ghibli film Uh I decided on my island I needed something a little magical and a little fantastical to escape the drudgery of my isolated island ex- uh, existence. And I plumped for what's not only the first Studio Ghibli film that I saw, but also the first film I took my daughter to see, um, which gives us some very, very good hipster points as she grows up and everyone asks <laughs> her, what's the first film you went to see? Oh, yeah, My Neighbour my Totoro is the first film I ever went to see. It's like, yeah, that's She won't girl. remember, though, will she? She'll but I'll, I'll, I'll tell her <laughs> over and over again. She's got a little cuddly Totoro and she's got it on Blu-ray, so th- that'll stick. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we've spoken about this film at length on the podcast. Uh, we did the Studio GB special and things like that. So I don't have much more to say about it, apart from the fact that I, I just think it's one of the most beautifully animated and imaginative films that I've ever seen. I will never tire of that cute little fella, well, cute big fella's face, um, or fail to have a stupid grin on my face when the cat boss shows up. It's it's a brilliant, lovely, amazing film. The the music is awesome. Uh, all I would say, I I equally love um, 
Grave of the Fireflies, but that is a film I would not want to watch more than yeah. once every few years, no, I'll be definitely honest. Not. So, um, so yeah, My Neighbour Totoro. And then finally, I'm going to need some comedy while I'm stranded. And Alpha Papa actually came close to making this list. Just, you know, probably still the funniest film I've seen over the last couple of years. But I pumped for The Intouchables, the uh, French comedy from 2011. And the reason I've recommended this film to, I think, at last count, I'd recommended this film to 20 different people, and every single one of them had enjoyed it in some shape or form. No one has ever, I've never recommended this film to anyone, they've gone, actually, that was a bit rubbish. And I can't think of any film like that that is so universally loved. Um, and rightfully so, I'm, I'm just going to say, Let's ignore the sniffy critics who called it a subtitled driving Miss Daisy because they're, they're wrong. Um, and if you've not seen it, it's loosely based on the true story of a millionaire French paraplegic and his, um, in the true story, an Algerian caregiver. Um, but I think in the film, um, it's Omar Sy who plays it and he's an immigrant from Mali, I think. Um, the directors discovered this story while watching a documentary about them which I now need to try and track down I'll be honest I love this film it's a very brave move to invite the audience to laugh with rather than at people with disabilities um, I didn't see it a lot of people have said it's a bit of a, a racial culture clash film with stereotypes and things like that. to me it's a, it's a culture of classes it's not race and class differences have always been right for comedy in my opinion as long as they're handed in a handled in an even handed way without any malice and I think the film is like that it's a genuinely really funny film it's not a mean spirited film by any stretch of the imagination also it's got a cracking soundtrack and I am going to need to get my groove onto <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire at late night on my island after a few too many fermented coconut milk cocktails so this is going to be my late night grooving on down to a Boogie Wonderland film so yeah, there's my three, and do you know what? I could happily watch those three every day for the rest of my life. Good, because you're going to, because you're stuck on this island. There's <laughs> no one coming to rescue me. <laughs> Seriously. No. Oh, fuck. No. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, once once I've finished training the monkey butlers and building my shelter, I'm probably going to want to relax a bit. And I'm going to pick... With your monkey butler. <laughs> yep. Sexy. <laughs> Just sexy monkey butler. Uh, so yes, I got. To, uh, it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So first film that I'm going to select is one that I mentioned earlier. It's a film that I've paid twice to see in the cinema, so it must be good. And that is the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I knew it. I knew you were going to take one of mine. I told you. Uh, so yes, it's it's um, the latest cinema release from Marvel. It's only a couple of weeks old, uh, based on not the most well-known comic book characters, but it is unbelievably fun, unbelievably funny, has a great soundtrack. Um, so if I could bring that along as well, that probably work quite well. Um, yeah, it's, like I say, it's just an unbelievably fun film. Um, James mentioned earlier Star Wars for a new generation I think it's a very different film to Star Wars but I can see what people are getting at when they compare it to mm. that um, like I said I've paid to see it twice and I could probably watch it quite happily every day or every couple of days 
Yeah, have no problem. Started with it. to hesitate there every uh, day. <laughs> I probably wouldn't watch Couple it. Of, maybe maybe once a week. You um, gotta keep the monkey butler uh, <laughs> trained. I'm, so. I'm, I'm gonna be busy. I'm on a desert island. I want to get off. I've, I've, I've got plenty of stuff to be getting on with. I can't watch films every day, let alone three of them. That's that's at least that's gonna be You're not between. Owen, are you? Let's be honest. That's gonna be between you know six and ten hours of my day. Taken up watching films when I could be making a raft. Fair point. That's true. <laughs> you could be on up at like a really high cliff, could have fallen out of an airplane, landed on this top of this desert island. And raft's no good to you then. You just have to sit and watch Guardians of the Galaxy all day. <laughs> Why can't I go down to the beach on this island then? It's very steep cliff. Alright. <laughs> if only there was some sort of rope type thing you could. Fashion to get down the cliff, but it might take up what, like vital like a, like film a, like a viewing rope. time. Yeah, <laughs> but it might take up vital film viewing time. Exactly, <laughs> and then you've got to carry your DVD player and your fifty-inch plasma down with you as well. It's just a nightmare. I'm just, I'm just presuming that everyone's got where a tablet. I, to be yeah, honest, yeah. Why would I be taking a fifty-inch plasma that I couldn't plug in on this island, <laughs> rather than a laptop that would still have some battery life left on it? Oh, you're just going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy every couple of days on Owen, oh, Owen, that task grid. Owen, have you ever been stuck on a desert island? It doesn't sound like you have. It's <laughs> a fair point. I can't remember a time I have been. Well, there you go. No. So stop talking yeah. shit. <laughs> uh, the next film I'm going to pick is... Um, is... The next goal wins a football documentary that's going to keep me both thoroughly entertained and uplift me when these long nights of Owen talking shit and me wrath <laughs> I've been watching too many films is starting to get me down. Um, a film that I was very nicely invited to a press screening of, which I don't get many of, um, tells the story of the Americans from our national football team who held the world record for the worst ever defeat in international football, losing 31 0 to Australia. Uh, and their bid to get their first win uh, in international football and become a bit more respectable. It's got some great characters in it. Um, it's a really uplifting story. It could have been so much by the books, kind of a plain, boring, dull documentary, but it's not by any means. And, um, yeah, it's going to make me want to do some keepy-ups on the beach, as it's set in a kind of an island location as well. Um <laughs> and it's gonna up. And it's gonna uplift me when when I'm feeling miserable during monsoon season. <laughs> Desert islands have monsoons, don't they? Well, depends where they are in the sure. world. <laughs> uh, uh, the final film I'm going to pick is the second ever new release we reviewed on the podcast, and uh, that is Avengers Assemble. And pretty much for the same reasons I picked Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've just got to scrub out two of my lists well, now. I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I won't say too much Maybe about that one. Maybe you just need to land on the same island and then... <laughs> we can just pull our resources. <laughs> oh, I'll that was do. my fail-safe as well. I've got to completely rethink my list, guys. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't talk too much about that one in case you want to talk about that one then, Carol. But trust me, if we landed in the same, on the same island, I'd do your head in straight away. Oh, you, I know that. <laughs> you'd, have killed, you'd have killed me and stole my DVDs after half an hour. <laughs> I'll be sizing you up Hannibal style. No, I just think you just go mad and 
kill me. Not even for sustenance, just kill him. Why not? So go on then, Carol, what were your films? Well, my films were... (laughs) Um, I had a bit of a problem here because obviously we're only talking about uh, films since May 2012, isn't it? April, May 2012. But um, happily, I... In the middle of that was a massive period of, of recuperation when I when I was laid up after a knee operation. So I managed to watch quite a lot of films in that time. Um, so I'm going to pick uh, my first pick is The Apartment, uh, which is a Billy Wilder film with Jack mm. Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine in it. And essentially, Jack Lemmon is a um, a young guy in a big big company who's trying to kind of curry favour with his bosses. And he hits on the idea of, of lending out his apartment to the to these bosses for uh, illicit affairs, and um, things get a bit complicated because he meets this girl that he really likes, and then he has to obviously explain the fact that there are constantly people in his apartment, basically having sex, but obviously they're not allowed to to tell you that because this is 1960, um, and it's just really really funny. I really really enjoyed this film, and Shirley MacLaine is just adorable, and also um, just it was really nice to have a, a love interest that's not just like a dolly girl she's um, quite an interesting character in her own right um, and it just it really makes me laugh and I think I would need to probably laugh especially if I was on a desert island with Steve let's face it because he wouldn't he wouldn't be making anyone laugh not intentionally anyway and, um... you're right though she's a brilliant brilliant character in it and um, yeah no, utterly utterly brilliant film uh, I think I, I what I this was nearly on my list as well because I watched that for when I was doing decade in film in the sixties. So I watched that about a year ago, and no, I absolutely loved it. Great film. I think the first time I saw it was actually it was definitely within the last two years. It was at a um, BFI uh, members uh, screening. So every month a member of BFI uh, selects a film that they want to see, and, and this was it for one of them. Um, and I liked it so much that I, I did watch it again probably about two weeks after I saw it, but I saw it in the cinema for the first time, which was really nice. Obviously, seeing that sort of thing with an audience is lovely. Um, just seeing where they actually laugh is always is always quite good. Um, so the second film then... Uh, that's all right, I'm just trying to rewrite this on the fly. <laughs> um I think I'm. Well, the problem I had was um, there were, as you said earlier, James. There were quite a lot of films that I liked, but I wouldn't necessarily want to watch on a desert mm. island. So I had Moon, and then I realised it's about a guy by himself, and you know, it's not. Yeah. It's not particularly. Yeah. God, doesn't like end particularly thing. well. Yeah. So that could really kind of mess with your head, um, which is a shame because I really like Moon. Um, so instead, I <laughs> went for. <laughs> instead, I went for. Um, Zatoichi, which is a Japanese samurai film, and it has uh, Takeshi Kitano, who's probably the most famous Japanese actor outside of Japan, uh, also known as Count Takeshi from Takeshi's yeah. Castle, obviously. <laughs> I'd, I'd hope yep. that a box set of the complete Takeshi's Castle would also just wash up on this island as well. That would be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. If anything, you could just kind of try and recreate them, especially exactly. the high rollers. Yeah. Um, so he's a blind samurai and he uh, turns up in a village and everyone needs his help and and basically just kicks all sorts of arse Uh, and it's it's actually quite funny for a samurai film but it's it's got amazing action in it there is a little bit of the cg blood syndrome but it's it's not 
it's not as bad as it first expendables put it that way but it's just a very kind of entertaining couple of hours and i really like takeshi katano as well i think he's fantastic uh it's so great that's... sound in that as well yes I mean, just, the, the the use of sound is just it's like nothing else i've seen i don't think yeah well, maybe barbarian sound studio uses it in a similar way and it's just a really just overpower not overpowering it's just really good it's it's brilliant yeah, the way they kind of get it across, because obviously he's a blind swordsman, mm. so he's going to be relying on sound most of all. Exactly, the way they get yeah. that across is just fantastic. So my third one is uh, Avengers, <laughs> which uh, we don't call it Avengers Assemble in this in this house, I'm afraid. It's just Avengers in, in I've this house. I've never heard of it. What, Avengers Assemble? Yeah, never heard of it. No, my my, cop- <laughs> my Blu-ray says Avengers, and that's, and that's, mm. that's how it is. Um, is that the one with Roger Moore in it? That's right, yes. <laughs> and... Uh, and Interesting choice. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know whether people are familiar with this film. Uh, basically, uh, there's a MacGuffin and it gets stolen, and loads of it's basically Marvel team up uh, in cinematic form, and it's just it's so good. I, I actually watched it a couple of weeks ago um, just to see whether it actually still held up as my favourite Marvel film after Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd say it does for now. But only just, and I probably would have picked Guardians of the Galaxy if someone else hadn't picked it first. So which, um, of, which of the Infinity Stones is the MacGuffin? Uh, the Mind Gem. Right. Just want to clear that up. Well, actually, no. Loki Scepter is the Mind Gem, and the Tesseract. I don't know which one the Tesseract is. The, um, the Tesseract is the power. Oh, I can't no, remember which one it is now. Oh, I don't know. I'm getting confused. With it doesn't really matter anyway, does it? It's, it's not going to matter no. for about really four years. Love soon. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. I think I wrote Avengers was also really close in mind, obviously, because um, it's just Whedon uh, script, uh, brilliant performances, and I think I mentioned in my kind of goodbye blog that I wrote for the site. It has it. If we've got a catchphrase on here, it's well, that's been the best comic book film since the Avengers. You know, I, I, hmm. very yeah, we hold it as the standard to which all comic book films now are judged. And I'm and as much as I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought I still think Avengers is the more complete film. Um, I I think it is, but only just yeah. That's yeah. that's why I rewatched that, it to see yes. whether that still held up. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, and and also. And it's not just the film itself, which is brilliant and um, has one of the best villains we've seen in modern comic book film. Oh, yeah, solid modern film history. You know, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is fucking incredible. Um, you know, really loads of good actors. But actually, what it represents, and that is Marvel took a massive punt. And it's really easy now in hindsight to go, oh, look at Marvel's money making machine. Uh, you know, the, Marvel is a license to print cash now. But that they set that up, and and the payoff of setting up those Phase One films and then paying it off with Avengers was actually really brave at the time, and it has it's changed uh, modern blockbuster history. And 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 what I love is that it was a genuinely brilliant and kind of a, a breath of fresh air film that did that. Yeah, I agree with you about the villain thing. I think that's that's actually what I was going to say is that's one of the areas where it's better is that it's got a good villain with a reasonable um plot yeah. basically. You can see you can see where he's coming from. Although it's not really fair because he's had, because they had one more film to set up 
Loki yeah. and everything. So maybe that's not a fair comparison. Um, but yeah, I remember, and, and to be honest, the, the trailer didn't look that great. Mm. Uh, I remember sitting down in Odeon Wimbledon being absolutely terrified that <laughs> this is going to be awful. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, definitely not. Okay, and uh, Owen, which three Japanese films have you picked? Well, I kind of tried to treat this triple bill a bit more seriously than I have some of the others that I've done over the past few years. So the three films I've chosen, they had to be something that, um, well, obviously that I really liked, but something that didn't like rely on gimmicks to generate cheap thrills. So perhaps Paranormal Activity or Hard Boiled even. Stuff like that I couldn't choose. Stuff that I kind of relies on being funny because the jokes will get old. I thought, uh, you know, it would get very repetitive quite quickly if you're stranded on a desert island. So most comedies are just out straight away. Um, and the final stipulation was that they all... Uh, they couldn't all be a build-up to a twist ending. If it was a twist ending, and you watch that like three yeah. times a week, you'd just be bored of it straight away. So those are the only kind of things I kind of, uh, tried to impose on myself. Um, so with that, my first choice ended up being a film um, that I have talked about on the podcast a few times um, in the past. Uh, it's 1928 silent film, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer, uh, who I did sort of talk about recently when I was absolutely slate in his film Gertrude I didn't really enjoy that but Passion of Joan of Arc is pretty much as close to perfect as a film can be I think um, René Jean Falconetti um, plays Joan and um, as she's mercilessly tried by selection of these bigoted um, biased um, pretty pretty disgusting bunch of zealots who are baying for her blood basically and the film's it's just I mean it teaches you something new every time you see it and I failed to see how being stuck on a desert island with a film like this could just ever bore you. Um, it's just, it's brilliant. It's, ma- it's basically a blank canvas, and what you see is your own um, interpretation of what's going on. So it's, it's brilliant. I think it's just an absolutely fantastic film. Uh, and not Japanese, either. Uh, so my second choice, um, I think, will probably cause a few grumbles and murmurs. On the podcast, but then it's a triple bill, and that seems to be what my <laughs> stick is. Oh to um, yeah, so <laughs> it's probably not one of my favourite films ever. Um, it's definitely not one of the best films ever made either. Um, but I have seen it three and a half times since its release in 2013, and I think it just gets better with each viewing. And I already liked it the first time around anyway, and I think I was the only one who liked it as well when we reviewed oh, it. Dear. So if you kind of haven't guessed by that, I'm referring to Ben Wheatley's film, A Field in England. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I, I really, really like it. I, I think it, absolutely, it just absolutely fascinates me. Um, I think the, the trippy nature to the way it's made is fascinating. The way it's just so bizarre um, is great as well. I really enjoy that. And I think it's maybe a little bit gimmicky with its effects. Um, but there's something about what's actually going on um, just keeps me glued to it every time and there's, there's humour there that makes me laugh but it's not just an outright comedy I think the characters are really like um, individual uh, and it's quite dark, it's really dark and bleak and I'd love to tell you specifically what makes it dark but it's more of a feeling mm. or an intuition than anything that's certifiably dark so yeah, I just love it and like I say it's one of these films that every time I see it I see something new in it. To be fair, this is a um, personal triple bill, so yeah, that no, I can I can get that. I, I I I genuinely do slightly fear for the sanity of anyone who would want to watch that 
repeatedly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. But I think it's quite a, 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 an original film and it's just... Um, like I say, you pick something else up every time you every time you see it. So I think if both of those two films though are quite cynical about humanity as a whole, if I want something a bit more um, uplifting or maybe optimistic about life uh, for my final choice. So it was a hard decision though because when flicking through the list of stuff that I've seen since starting the podcast, what I've kind of realised is what a misanthropic bastard I am. <laughs> and most of the films I've really enjoyed have been quite pessimistic. So I think that says something about uh, me as a person. But anyway, my final choice is a Japanese film. Steve, good guess. Um, but it's not Zatoichi, it's Ikaru by <gasps> oh, Akira I Kurosawa. Say that, yeah. I'm still um, that. I, it was one of my favourite films that I've seen since we've started this podcast. Um, and I know it's about a man dying of cancer, so automatically you think it's quite pessimistic. But it's not. There's a real, like, warmth about it. Um, and it looks at, uh, at kind of all forms of life as well. So people from different backgrounds, what it means to actually be alive. It shows the side of humanity that's that's both ugly and beautiful. Um, and there's a lot to be learnt from Takeshi uh, Shimura's character. And the sudden awakening, the epiphany that he has about how he's going to spend his remaining six months. Um, and granted, it, it it may make me suicidal watching it on a desert island and realising I've no time to make the most of my remaining days. Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly heartwarming. It's eternally optimistic about the human condition. And I think that, um, yeah, that's all you'd need. And it's it, it's a fucking brilliant film as well. So that's my final choice. And um, yeah, I was certain nobody else would choose either of these three films as well. So that's... um. A bonus. Hello. 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 Can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear you. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. you just completely uh, cut out for me. I, I got all of that, but it doesn't matter anyway. Cause it's local yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I think mine still recorded it, so it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, right. never mind. You'll just have to listen back to the podcast. I heard it all. It was lovely. <laughs> okay. okay. So then that was our, our triple bill. Um, on to some recommendations then for the next week uh, ahead. It wouldn't be James's last podcast if I didn't do this. Saturday afternoon, ITV are putting all their eggs in one basket here <laughs> and showing the Mighty Ducks at 20 past one. Amazing. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, what are you recommending? Um, I'm recommending a film on DVD, but it, it came out a little while ago, actually. It came out in July, but I only found out it was on DVD last week um, when I happened to see it in HMV, of all places. Um, the Battery. It's a, a, a zombie film. So, again, what kind of podcast would it be if I wasn't talking about a zombie film? It follows two former baseball players um, trying to survive a post-apocalyptic world. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of um, stuff there about these two people, how they survive, rather than being an outright gore fest. Uh, it's it's a very different sort of zombie film. So it's, yeah, worth a watch. It's um, really, really interesting. And Carol? Um, I'm, recommend- I'm also recommending a film that's actually just come out on Blu-ray this week on DVD, uh, which is, unsurprisingly, Captain America The Winter Soldier. came out uh, on Monday. Uh, apparently, although my copy is in the post, Zavi, 
so I haven't actually received <laughs> it yet. So, um, yes, but I'm looking forward to watching it again. I didn't manage to get to see it more than once in the cinema. Uh, but, yeah, very good. I'm not going to give it away if you haven't seen it, because uh, I know people are sensitive about spoiler alerts, etc. Um, but it does move on the Marvel Universe in quite an interesting way, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it uh, how it all pans out and also improve agents of shield like fivefold in the process so <laughs> yeah. that was good okay and uh james uh, as it's my last one um i've just read my browser's just stopped working I, i'm still talking to you guys but my internet browser isn't working so i'm just trying to see if this is on um uh, netflix anywhere while i search for that on my phone uh i'm i'm gonna say you should watch uh, my favourite film of all time um, That that's my recommendation my favourite film of all time <laughs> if I haven't said it before is the Italian film from 1998 Life is Beautiful I haven't been able to watch it since I became a dad either um, at some point I'm going to brave watching this film as, as a parent uh, but it's available on Netflix in a huge amount of regions including USA Mexico, Colombia no, there was a Colombian Netflix, amazing. Uh, Denmark, low Netflix, but Life is Beautiful. If you've not seen it, it is genuinely one of the most moving films I've ever seen in my life. A beautiful comic performance from Roberto Benigni, um, and very much a film of two halves. One will make you smile, one will break your heart, and that's the film. If you've not seen it yet, go and watch that. Okay. Um, so that's pretty much all for, for this week's podcast. But before we go, um, James wants to say a few oh. words to, to the listeners. Before that, though, we did try and get Jerry onto the podcast tonight, but because I only emailed him this afternoon, logistically it was a bit difficult. Uh, but he did he did leave a message and just said to tell James simply, thank you for setting up uh, the podcast and the website and getting him involved for enhancing his appreciation of cinema and most importantly, making him watch Les Mis. Oh, <laughs> that was a genuine surprise when he came back on the podcast and said, do you know what, I bloody like that film. I think he ended up voting for it in his top three of the year as well. He did, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, yes, crack on, James. Do you know what, I'm, I'm, I've had a few whiskeys tonight. I've I've been... I was listening to REM's Everybody Hurts before we started recording. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a mess, actually. Um, I had a quick look at the, the stats before I came on. This is 122nd podcast, and we've had 19,500 downloads. Um, that's weird. Uh, I've been on over 100 of these things, and it's really bizarre to think that I started this just to have a few people to chat to about films, and and genuinely feel like I've ended up with some good friends, strange internet friends that I've never actually met, but friends <laughs> all the same, and hopefully we'll eventually get in the same room together and, and I'll buy you all a drink, you bastards. Um, I'll be honest, part of me is relieved to have a small amount of my freedom back. Uh, <laughs> but truth be told, I'm going to miss this hugely. There are a few people... I, I, Genuine lot to thank a few people. I want to thank Charlie Higson for that time that he said to fail critics and I could chuck it in front of a few podcasts. Um, Pappies, who were absolutely wonderful up in Glasgow. Um, people who've been on the podcast before, Jackson Tyler, Callum Petch, uh, my good Scottish friends Paul Fisher and Dave McFarlane, both wonderful 
um, wonderful blokes who got me very drunk and we played fishing in a pub. Great fun. Uh, Matt Lamborn, who recommended Rampage and Condor Mantelin. <laughs> and Matt Lamborn, has, I, I swear, has been responsible for half of our website views over the last couple of years. He's a super, super bloke. Um, Jerry McCauley, who I missed dearly. Carol, thank you for coming on and kind of helping take this podcast forward. I really appreciate you doing some brilliant work there. Owen taking over the site, being a genuinely, genuinely lovely bloke and great fun to talk films with. And Steve for being there from the beginning and you'll be there till the end, I'm sure. Um, on I'll every... bring it I'll bring it down around me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve was the man who put his hand up and went, Do you know what? I've done a podcast on Morris. Yeah, you want to do a film podcast, I'll help out. And uh, yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Steve. And that's a bizarre thing to say, isn't it? Uh, I also just want to very, very quickly say thank you to my family, my amazing wife, Kate, and my children who have put up with me doing this, including the time that I recorded a couple of podcasts from in my car because I didn't want to disturb my children, my daughter, as she slept. So I recorded in the, in the depths of winter from my car. That was an interesting time. And thank you very, very much to anyone who has ever downloaded a single episode of this. You've made me a ridiculously happy person. I just want to... Because um, I, when I write the little bits for the um, for the blog, I like to uh, I like to take a few film quotes and stuff. So I, I, I've just messed around with the film quote here. Uh, I was thinking of last film quote. Yeah, the, the last bits from films. And uh, I just want to say that I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Cack, shit like Danny Dyer in front of your wife. <laughs> I watched David Bowie glitter in the dark near Horse Guards Parade. All those moments will be lost in time like <coughs> tears in rain. Time to die. It's been hugely emotional and I just want to say thank you. But I, I, I'm... I'll, you won't keep me away for too long. I'll be back, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very good. Yeah. <laughs> not not very good at, at showing my gratitude to anyone for anything, but basically thanks, because or else I wouldn't have a, a an outlet to talk about films or have an excuse to go and watch them at the cinema. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. And it, yeah. Oh, cheers, um, Steve. That's, that's about the best you'll get out of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to kind of echo those sentiments, really. Um, I've said, I think I've said what I wanted to say in an email to you already, but just to kind of pull it on record as well. Um, you, you kind of coaxed me into doing this a little I did, bit because I, I was slightly you, reluctant. Yeah, and I thought, well, should I? And I'm really glad that you you did in the end because I've enjoyed the past two and a half years immensely, and it's Aww. been great chatting films with you as well. Oh, cheers, Bella. Um, yeah, I know that I'm I, well. Obviously, the newcomer. I've been here less than a year. Uh, it's and it's almost a year actually since I uh, started. I think it was nine months ago uh, when I said. Yeah, well, if you don't have anyone going to London Film Festival, then I'll then I'll do something for yeah, you. Of <laughs> and then uh, and then it just sort of went from there, really. So it's been a pleasure. But um, yeah, I'm not going to get too kind of emotional about it because I know that you'll be back <laughs> at some point, probably in about two weeks <laughs> when you when you're bored yeah. <laughs> and you've when, seen Lucy. Or when, or when Kate's fed up with you, and wants you to piss <laughs> off for an hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, when Lucy comes out, yeah. I think uh, 
you, you like a bit <laughs> of Luke Besson, and, and yeah. you'll be begging us to come back. <laughs> yeah, you won't get very far, I'm sure. It's in a Godfather Three is an absolutely fucking appalling film, but it did give us a quote just when I thought I was out. They pulled me yeah. back in, so you've just kind of got to bear that in mind. <laughs> okay, um, well, yeah, that's all really for this week's podcast. Uh, James might be leaving, but the show will go on, and the rest of us will be back around this time next week with another podcast for you. And now it's all over. And that's the hardest part. Today everything is different. There's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce, and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But for you though, the rest of us would just be checking our watches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah my... You've already moved on. I know you've already moved <laughs> on. Probably some what hurts I've... even more. I just wish I could have found the music they play to play off people when they rab it on too much at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> just after five seconds, play. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm going to Nicole Kidman tonight. But yes, uh, starting with a quiz. Uh, new rules for the quiz. It's pretty much next goal wins. Uh, the winner of this quiz, just this one edition, will be picking films for people to watch. Yeah. So um, even though I am, I'm two nil nil up in in the times we've been been doing it. It would be a cruel twist of fate if I wasn't to win this. And uh, yeah, just just letting you two know that it would be rather cruel if I didn't win this. Just just, just, <laughs> just putting it out there. That. That emotional blackmail in there. Why don't why don't well, we have like just two guesses each and that's it? If we don't get it, you win. How's that? I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I don't that like well. that. It's not very good. <laughs> that's in. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, in nineteen uh, ninety eight, they were in Saving Private Ryan. Who oh, wasn't? Yeah. Who wasn't? Um, I'll yeah. tell you who. Well, I'll tell you. Who, I can tell you. Who, <laughs> I can tell you who wasn't in there. I'll tell you 
I'll tell you who wasn't in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Haley Joel Osment. True. There you go. That's true. Well, he true might fact. have been somewhere. Yeah. Um, are you seeing Haley Joel Osment these days? By the way, he looks like the moon. It's really. <laughs> he's got a massive face. Anyway, um, Carol. Yes, Carol. Oh wait, so we're only getting two two guesses each, yeah, right? right? So we've got to make them count. All right, I'll 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 hold my fire. I'll keep my powder dry. Okay. Right, so is anyone guessing on this no, this first no, 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 no. Right. Yeah. In in the year two thousand they're in a film that was called Boiler Room. I know two people in that. <laughs> Carol <gasps> Yes, Carol. Giovanni Rubisi? No, this is oh. not Giovanni Rubisi. Okay. Uh in two thousand and one they're in a film called Knockaround Guys. I'm going to jump forward here uh, okay. to 2006. They appeared in The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Come on. James. Yes, James. I'm going to say Vin Diesel. You are correct in your assumption. <laughs> 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 this is a fix. You've really, you've really yeah. just blatantly agreed and, and, you know, just basically confessed that this is all a fix. I feel, I feel there's been <laughs> oh, collusion. Oh, that feels beautiful. Right, okay. I've, <laughs> I've got personalised picks for all of you here. Um, Steve, you are finally going to watch the final member on Netflix. <laughs> you're going to sit yes. down and you're going to watch a 75-minute documentary about a penis museum. And I want to hear about it on the next podcast. I didn't watch it when you were on the podcast. What makes you think I'm going to watch it now? <laughs> you will You will watch it. You, you've got a sense of... I can tell you've got a small bit of honour left there. Carol, I know you're a huge fan of terrible films. Love them. Um, and I want you to watch Danny Dyer's Run for Your Wife. Oh my god. <laughs> and Owen, Hang on, even I've got limits. You got the short straw. Owen, no, I, I, Doesn't even matter what I've got. Carol's got the short straw in that one. Because, because I've already been through it this week. And because it would please Matt so much. I'm going to be talking about it later. Um, I'm going to send you a copy of. Disney's 1981 action adventure film Condor Man. Yeah, I get it. And I'm happy with that. I'll take Condor Man. So I would love to hear. I will still be listening to the podcast when I go. I'd love to hear your reviews of those next week. Would you? <laughs> you could. You could have made me watch Holy Motors again. Yeah, I know, but see, I'm not that cruel, Steve. I, I, I genuinely, I see because all of, I, I think there's some redeeming features in all of those films. Possibly not run for your wife. But. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, you are talking. I mean, I have been known to get onto iPlayer and just fast forward episodes of EastEnders just to get to the bits that Danny Dyer's in. There you go. So, I, I, I knew, I knew there'd be a, a, and also none of those films are longer than ninety minutes long as well. I'm not, I'm not really mean like when Owen made us watch about five days worth of Transformers. <laughs> that, was, that was that was harsh. So, um, uh, and. And I think Owen will find some stuff to like in Condor Man. And Steve, genuinely, it was one of my favourite documentaries from last year. It's a good film. It's because you like knobs. <laughs> <laughs> Classy. Yeah, yes. Succinct as ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, on to some news now then. Um, and I suppose, well, Owen, you've sent me the news, you could lead with it. <laughs> Shall I lead on the news even though you are now our master of news? Posting yes. a weekly article on the website. I will lead on the news, okay. Um, that was that was a good plug there, by the yeah. way. Oh, thank you. I'm sneaking these in there. This is why I've handed the site over to him. He's <laughs> a fucking pro. What do you mean him? It's us. It's a collective. Yeah, it's, I know. Nah, it's, it's, nah, it's mostly us. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it's a consortium. Exactly. I just have, you know, 67% uh, Oh, when you Alan <laughs> you, You're Nick, Steve. And Carol is um, Karen Brady. That, that's how I see it. Now, hang on a minute. <laughs> Let's not say things you can't take back. Uh, yeah, I, okay, yeah, news. What is the news? The news, I suppose the good news to start with, um, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg collaborating on a new film, apparently. It's been confirmed. They're definitely doing something else, even though everyone thought The World's End, which was supposed to be the final in the Cornetto trilogy, um, would be their last movie together it apparently isn't they've not revealed what the name of this film is or what it's about yet but i think that's quite a nice little bit to to get us going to start with well, i mean i'm pleased about that i don't know about you guys I'm well it's beetle man just taking the script and he's put simon Pegg in it and it'll be set in britain <laughs> So, so Nick Nick Frost will be Hank Pym, and Simon Pegg will be Scott. What's Wasp. name? Scott Lang. That's the that's the, Scott that's Lee the... and Hank Pam, and uh, <laughs> it'll be about a fan of the Liverpudlian band who also has an army of Beatles. Brilliant! I, I'm definitely going to see it. Um, but yes, I suppose Edgar Wright's got time on his hands now after leaving. I think he's got a couple Ant-Man. of things lined up now, hasn't he? He's 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 like the the boyfriend that's been dumped that's going, No, I'm no I'm busy. I am busy. Um <laughs> I, I am getting on with my life. Hmm. He's just shagging around now, isn't he? Yeah. After being dumped he's gone mad. He's gone back to his ex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um but yes, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to it, whatever they decide to do, whether it's a another kind of something along the lines of of what they've done with the Cornetto trilogy. I don't know if there's any more flavours of Cornetto left for them. There's they've those obviously... new ones with a flake stuck in them. They're not as good as they got like Oreo ones, haven't yeah. they? Not yeah. as good as they should be. <laughs> no. But, um, but yeah, well, you but, know, I yeah. think there's a lot of goodwill towards them anyway, whatever the project's going to be, because of how good their previous stuff yeah. has been. Yeah. So. And let's just, let's just make it clear again, The World's End wasn't a bad film, regardless mm. of what other people have said. That's been annoying me again recently. Well, if if we've learnt one thing on this podcast, it's that um, everyone else is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thought for the day. Only Thank took you. us two years and two and a half years, but we've got there. Everyone else is wrong. Yes, and we are yes. right. Yeah. Okay. We we are also bigger than Jesus. Yes. <laughs> um, that can be the tagline for Beetleman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The other bit of news, which I also think is quite good news, um, is the fact that The Rock has definitely confirmed that he'll also be in a movie, and that's going to be as either Black Adam or Shazam in an upcoming DC movie, which is good news. Um, I know nothing about these characters, Owen. Nothing about them. about them. What are they? Who are they? Shazam, Because the or, first one just sounds known... really racist. 
Black Adam is... Yeah. Well, we'll come to that, shall we? But <laughs> Shazam is basically a kid, Billy Batson, who says the magic word, Shazam, and he turns into um, an adult superhero. And that sounds very lame. That is a shit <laughs> It is a really crap premise, but honestly, the comics have been really good. It's okay. strange. It's one of those where the stories are actually quite... Um, so so he's, he's got a lot in common, then, in, in a way, with Banana Man, who is <laughs> but, a child... Yeah. Who is a child who does one specific thing to turn into a, a great? They're like making a watch to me. They're making a <laughs> Banana Man movie. Yeah, I'm not even that. joking. Um, I don't know if he's joining the Avengers or the Justice League. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which one which one he's in league with. Um, but that's happening. Yeah, he's like a renegade. Um, I mean, when I say Shazam, and like nothing happens except my phone starts recording stuff off the TV. Is that <laughs> nice. going to be a superpower? Maybe. Like I mean, the, bring it up to date. His he, name he knows, is an he issue. He knows any song he hears in a pub. Like, yeah. That is a great, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great superpower. His name is an issue, though, because his original name was Captain Marvel, but he's a, D- a DC property. So there's oh. been a lot of legal issues around his name, which is really long-winded and there's no point. I think I read about that on Wikipedia once and it gave me a headache. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he because he wasn't originally DC property, and then they bought him, and his name was already Captain Marvel, and blah blah blah. So they changed his name to Shazam. But Shazam is also the magic word he says that turns himself into a superhero. Okay. And but did he say that? Again. Did he say that before he was called Shazam? Yes. Like when he was Captain Marvel, he's always saying Shazam. That's right. But no, yeah. his name is Shazam. So if he has to right. introduce himself, he'll start flipping between being a superhero or a young orphaned boy, which is. Well, does he I, have I to say it, or could I? Off. Yeah. Or could I? Stood, could I be stood next to him and say Shazam, and would he, would he change? Or <laughs> is, it, is it specifically him that, that has could to be say massively it? Massively embarrassing, yeah. Or it what is happens, specifically him? Or what happens then if I've got a <laughs> tape recording of him saying Shazam, and I just play it like when he Shazam, <laughs> I want to turn back into a child because I'm the bad guy. I just press play on this recorder, and it says it's him saying Shazam. What happens, Owen? <laughs> I, I don't know. This is why DC's world's going to fall apart. And why? And why has um? And why has DC Comics not thought of this plot hole yet? There's just not been a brainy enough <laughs> supervillain yet to, to yeah. take on that Who's challenge. Who's Black Adam then? Black Adam is his arch nemesis who was an ancient Egyptian who has the same power, which was bestowed on them by this wizard. Um, Does he say Black Adam though? No, he says Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And The Rock's genuinely signed up to this. The Rock has genuinely confirmed he'll be playing either I'll Black Adam it, or Shazam. Obviously. Honestly, Black it, Adam is a it. brilliant supervillain. He is just fantastic. A proper, tyrannical, wants to take over the world kind of supervillain who has the power to do it. So That's it's going to be a massive. supervillain, though. But he's, uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> That's enough. just like everyone just taking over the world. Oh, alright. And, you know, everyone can do it when yeah. they have, like, the MacGuffin and then they have to be defeated. I like The Rock, but I'm not really sure how he's going to be able to play a small orphan boy, as you've just yeah, put it. Yeah. You know, he's gone method. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see The Rock <laughs> pulling that off. He's going to lose huge amounts exactly. of weight, Christian Bale style. <laughs> um, what else has been in the news then? Oh, Fright Fest, of course, starts this week, starts on Thursday. That's pretty big news. Um, another plug for the website. 
We've got um, Mike Shawcross at Shawkey1969 will be covering it for us um, on Twitter. So we'll be retweeting his comments because he's actually going to Fright Fest. And he's pulled up two preview pieces on the website already. Um, so lots of things that are being covered there. You know, Sin City 2 um, gets its first screening at Fright Fest. Dead Snow 2, which I've heard... of an odd fit. It's not really a horror film, is it? No, it's um, just like their big big uh, preview yeah. thing of, of the year. There's yeah. not a lot else coming out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but Dead Snow 2, I've no, heard I didn't want to sound disparaging. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Wolf Creek 2 as well, getting a lot of uh, plaudits as well. So there's quite a few Which good I things. Mike that... saw in Glasgow, actually, as well. Yeah, yeah. Mike saw that in Glasgow and he quite enjoyed it. So, Apparently, yeah. 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 Um, so this, yeah, it's worth looking uh, into. I think there's quite a few things coming out that I'm interested in as a, sort of a horror film fan as well. So, uh, and I think All Cheerleaders Must Die is actually on Netflix US as well. So you can even check that out before finding about what's going on at Fright Fest. So that's one it for the news, I think, well, Steve. There's just one other. Um, we missed it last week and just, you know, don't want to completely pass. Uh, Lauren Bacall sadly died as well, which mm. was a real shame because she is a classy woman, brilliant actress, and coined the phrase the Rat Pack while Frank Sinatra was still only a hanger-on, basically. Um, I've, I've read a few years ago now, read a fantastic book about the Rat Pack. Uh, but yeah, Lauren Bacall, brilliant, brilliant actress, and, and that's a real shame as well. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, so yes, that's the end for part one. Up next, we'll be having uh, our usual look at what we've been watching in the last week or so. Uh, what we've been watching now, where we take a look at the films we've uh, seen over the last seven days or so. Uh, I haven't really seen anything, but I did see Guardians of the Galaxy for a second time. No real point going over... Um, the film again because it's been talked about to death but interesting that I suppose so many people as Carol mentioned have paid to see it more than once um, has any, I mean Carol you've seen it more than once haven't you? To me, yeah I yeah. saw it twice at, at preview and I want to go again because I still haven't seen the end credit scene I, I do want to go just for that oh. Um <laughs> oh, I've oh, seen it already. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know I spoiled it for myself. Yeah, 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 I know what's in it. Unfortunately, but um, yeah, I I know you're about probably about the fourth person who said to me, "Oh, I went to see it again," and that's um, you know, none of these people have unlimited cards. They've actually paid out, and you know, it's obviously quite a lot of money. Uh, mm. it, it's just it's unprecedented. I, I know people just, who I, didn't I, I really enjoy it very much. What's that? Yeah. I was going to say, I've known people who didn't really enjoy it that much on the first viewing, and still, some for some reason, went to see it again, and enjoyed it a lot more on the second viewing. Oh, so, oh that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I, I really improved. enjoyed it. Because I, I, um, I missed the podcast where you reviewed it, and just to chip in, I loved it. Uh, really, really enjoyed it, uh, as, as I kind of expected to. Because I think I picked it in my um, triple bill you summer did. picks. Um, yeah. And it lived up to my expectations. It was absolutely brilliant, funny film. Really, really enjoyed it. Everyone was great in it. Um, and yeah, I'm desperate to watch it again because I keep coming across um, kind of internet memes, which then remind me of it. And there was one today, <laughs> someone just posted a picture of a raccoon stood up, like in real life, it was like in a, an American picture, a raccoon at someone's um, patio door 
and it said, uh, I've got a plan, I need your leg, please, or something. Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, I really want to go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. Um, cause it, it was, it was such great fun. And I know, I know you guys mentioned it on the podcast. Um, it, it did feel a little bit like a, a Star Wars for our generation. It was really nice to see this grand, funny, action packed space opera. So, um, yeah, I, I am going to be one of those people that also go and pay and see it for a second time, definitely. Blimey. Okay. Um, yes, Carol, what have you seen this week, then? Um, this week, I have not seen a lot, but I did go to Film 4 Summer Screen on Saturday, um, where you go to Somerset House and you sit on the cobbles for four hours and uh, watch a couple of films on a massive screen. It was freezing, by the way. Um, so I ostensibly went for Ghostbusters, as did, as did half the audience, because unfortunately then half the audience got up and left after Ghostbusters, uh, which was amazing. I'm not going to review it again. It's the best movie ever made, etc. etc. It's really, really funny. <laughs> I, I got quite drunk. It was hilarious. The second movie was uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which I've never seen. Uh, I have no idea how I've never seen this film. I I, I I have no idea. I think it must have been... I think it's like a 15. And I think I was probably too young mm. when it first came out. And it kind of sunk without trace. And, and it was one of those films that was a bit of a bomb, I think. Well, that's what the uh, the guy who introduced it said. It was a bit of a flop. But it's mm. been kind of uh, held up since as a as a really good, fun film that's kind of stood the test of time. So if you haven't seen it, um, Kurt Russell is like just literally the most Indiana Jones piss take person you, you've ever seen in your life. Uh, it's just like the anti-Indiana Jones. Um, and he uh, loses a card game, I think. As I said, I was actually quite drunk by the time the film came <laughs> on. Um, and it's got uh, Sam, uh, Samantha from Sex and the City in it. Uh, and she gets basically kidnapped uh, by this chap who needs to marry her so he can take physical form. You know, it's just a normal thing, really. You know, just just your average thing. Um, yeah, as I said, I was actually quite drunk because um, they did have this amazing whiskey where they basically put anything, uh, amazing hot chocolate where they put whiskey in it for you, which was just lovely because I was really, really cold at this point. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. It was highly entertaining, and as James said earlier, I think probably best to see it when you are drunk. It's just so much more, <laughs> much more fun. Um, it's just like. It, it's like a really uh, high concept B movie, really, isn't it? Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's tremendous fun. It's like a more tongue-in-cheek Indiana Jones. Uh, Kurt Russell's just a really good uh, front man. He's got he's got the charisma to carry it off, and it's just suitably suitably cheesy, I think, for a a late night late night film. It's the sort of thing you'd expect to see on film four at one in the morning. Yes. Yeah. I, I watched it as a teenager and. And fell in love with it then because it's utterly bonkers. Um, and it comes right in that John Carpenter golden streak of um, The Thing, uh, Escape from New York, uh, They Live, Big Trouble in Little China. He was just, yeah, his, some of his 80s output was absolutely incredible. And I'm just going to say right now, as my going away present from the podcast, at some point you're going to have to induct John Carpenter into the Corridor Praise. And I am coming back for that <laughs> podcast. I'm saying that right now. Um, You're coming back for anything, everything. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I'll be gone for a couple of weeks and I'll be begging to come back. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I do genuinely love Big Trouble in Little China. And um, and you're right about Kurt Russell. He, he is so good in that film. 
he's just he's just a really good front man. He's kind of this square lantern. He's a bit like he reminded me a little bit of Bruce Campbell in it, really, in that he's not really someone who you'd pick to be the leading man in that sort of thing. But he kind of keeps a straight face and and just kind of carries it through the ridiculousness of it all. Yeah. James, which film are you reviewing for us on your last ever podcast possible? I know. I, I watched a load of films this week, for once. <laughs> I'm not just... Um, I went to sit... I took my daughter to a Frozen sing-along uh, showing at the Odeon, which... Oh, um, God, I can't imagine it. Yeah, I know, and I can imagine Owen's <laughs> toes curling up at the point yeah. and, uh, and do you know what? Ten years ago, me would have looked at that and kind of rolled his eyes and sneered a little bit. I had such great fun with her. I, I, actually, I had genuine fun with my. It was really lovely. She's nearly four now, and she got dressed up in a, a princess's dress, and she went and she belted out the songs. And yeah, uh, this is my daughter who a year ago could barely string four words together, and there she was singing about frozen fractals. And I was wow. Um, so I just want to say thanks to Frozen because her obsession with that's actually really helped her. And there, and there were you stood in your princess's dress, not being able to string four <laughs> words together. That's right. I had a few drinks beforehand. And, um, um, I also watched The Heat this week, which I think Jerry. God, do you remember Jerry? Uh, um, he he reviewed on there one of his last podcasts. Um, I watched Enough Said, which is actually a really lovely film. James Gandolfini's penultimate film with Julia Louis Dreyfus. Really nice, kind of quite gentle comedy as I'm getting old uh, about old people old people I say you know kind of divorcees getting together but the film I do want to talk about is a film that um, our good friend Matt Lamborn has been dying to get me to see so long Matt Lamborn's recommended a few films to me over my time on the podcast Uh, one of the early ones was Rampage uh, by Uwe Boll Uh, probably Uwe Boll's best film that's not saying a lot. That's and not it's... a good three words to put after a film, is it? Yeah, Bye, exactly. <laughs> um, which, do you know what? I, I still think was technically a well-made film. I just found it. I found I needed a shower afterwards. It was a really, really difficult watch. Um, I can't remember what else he's made. I'll <laughs> destroy all monsters, which was actually just bonkers and mad. Uh, which I didn't mind. But Condor Man was his one of his picks for his. Um, decade of film 1981 it was one of his five favourite films from 1981 um, it's one of those kind of lo- live action family friendly Disney films that seem to be everywhere during the 70s 80s, the kind of race to which mountain and Herbie and stuff like that um, all before Disney remembered how to make incredible animated films and started doing that again it stars, believe it or not Michael Crawford um, who to me will always be Frank Spencer uh, I don't know about you guys. You, some others do have them. Yeah, definitely. To, to yeah, me, I... he'll always be Cindy's brother. <laughs> oh dear God! There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna miss that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Michael Crawford, Frank Spencer, um, as an American, I think he's American. The accent's a bit odd, bit difficult to place. Uh, comic book writer called Woody Wilkins, who's created this character called Condor Man. Um, who actually really looks like that Colombian football fan at USA '94 that used to hang off the the upper tier? That, that was wings. that was Con. That, yeah, that was Condor Man, wasn't it? Was that actually that, based on that the was actual? Film? Well, I don't know, but that was his actual name. The name of the guy, the Colombian. Fan. Oh, okay, he was, he was actually Condor. called Condor yeah. Man. I yeah. like. I'd like to think he was heavily influenced by Michael Crawford in that case, because this is from '81. So that's that's interesting. Um, 
Now, Woody would Woody Wilkins' shtick is that he won't put anything in his comics that couldn't happen in real life, and so the film opens with him dressed as Condor Man, which is just this guy, like I say, looking like that Columbia fan from USA '94 with huge mechanical wings, jumping off the Eiffel Tower and landing in the Seine. To and Henry Mancini did the score for this, this bizarre, insistent score where it builds up, dun dun dun. Dun dun dun, and then a choir goes Condor Man, and it's it's like oh my god, are they, is he taking the piss? Is it, and loads of this film just feels like they've gone fuck it, let's take the piss, uh, and so they I mean, let's get Henry Mancini, but make him just do the score where people go Condor Man over and over again. Happens loads in the film. Uh, now Woody is like I say, he's a comic book um, writer, but his best friend is a CIA operative, obviously. Um, and he decides to do his mate a favour and deliver some documents to a Russian contact in Istanbul. Um, and yeah, for God's sake, this is how Edward Snowden happened. You don't get comic book writers <laughs> in to deliver secret documents. It's, it's such a naive Cold War mentality. Um, and, and, but Woody can't help living out this Billy Liar-esque fantasy. So he tells this sexy female Russian spy that he he's a spy and his code name is Condor Man. He starts living out this fantasy. Uh, and obviously hilarity ensues, uh, as it should do. Um, it turns out that the Russian woman wants to defect, and she tells the CIA she'll only speak to Condor Man, so they have to. They basically go, well, you're just going to have to go and get this Russian spy to defect, because that's how the intelligence agency works. It's just the way <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, to be fair, it's made for kids, but it's bizarrely naive, especially when you consider the world we live in these days. It's this ref- almost refreshingly naive. <laughs> Um, uh, kind of world environment they're in. Um, I will say Michael Crawford's actually pretty good in the main role. He, he it's really weird seeing him, but um, he's as good as the very bad, but slightly tongue-in-cheek script allows him to be. Um, he's he's a very good physical comic, as anyone who's seen some others do have will know, and he, he kind of uses that, and he is the shining light in what is otherwise a pretty terrible film, I'll be honest. Um, it's got Oliver Reed as the main Russian bad guy. Um, it's also got a guy with a, a metal eye as the kind of scary henchman. Weird. He drives around in a black Porsche, and inside his Porsche, black Porsche, he is wearing a black jumpsuit and a black crash helmet with black visor which I, I found really weird he's, he's got the visor down inside his car which is odd and is whenever it, is, you it, stop, uh, is it convertible it's not convertible no oh, and so <laughs> he st- Michael Crawford gets away and he stops his car and he wipes down his window and then lifts his visor and then looks out the window looking to see where Michael I'm thinking you'd catch up with him if you didn't wear the fucking crash helmet to be honest it's a bit weird um uh, there is a great car chase with uh, a fleet of Porsches chasing after <laughs> this weird Borat-esque gypsy caravan that turned into a sports car. It's it's utterly mental. Um, I can't wait to see this film. Yeah, it, 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 there are kind of like Fast and Furious levels of fun here, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but then there's there's a boat chase towards the end, which reminded me a little bit of Face Off, actually. I think Face Off was heavily heavily influenced by Condor Man towards the end. But this boat that he's driving is shooting out lasers which hit the water and cause 
flames and explosions. <laughs> I'm just watching. How does a laser cause water to set on fire? It's this bizarre um, <laughs> science fiction set piece. Science. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking yeah. ludicrous. Uh, it, essentially, it's a bumbling film that lurches from badly staged set piece to potential racism and back again. At one point, Michael Crawford disguised himself as uh, an Arab sheikh. In the early eighties, you can imagine that was very culturally sensitive. There's also a tea towel on his head. Where they are? What was that supposed to? Be? <laughs> I said, did he have a tea towel on his head? As, as it, the Arab essentially, yes, yeah, essentially. Yeah. There's a bit where they're in Yugoslavia and they're disguised as gypsies. Really <laughs> <laughs> bad. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, overall. Thanks, Matt, but it's a terrible <laughs> film. I'm, I'm sure... Do you know what? It is exactly the kind of film that I think if you watched it when you were growing up, you'd go back and you'd have fond memories and there's a nostalgia. If you watch it as a cold, cynical 34-year-old, it's such a terrible film. Um, but it just about gets into that it's actually quite entertaining in its badness range that I think there is some enjoyment to be had from it. I certainly don't regret watching it, but... I, I can't objectively say it's anything other than terrible. So um, I'm going to love it then, you, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Can you change Thanks my pens, please? I feel like I've really drawn the short straw here. Do you know what? Do you want to swap, agrees, Owen? If Owen agrees to watch Run for Your Wife instead, <laughs> I might just see if I'll I can get hold both. of Condor Man just for just for the laugh. We should both. We, I think Owen. I think we should both watch both. I'll, of them. I'll send a copy to both of you. <laughs> okay. Okay, so finally then, for what we've been watching, Owen, what have you seen? Um, I uh, went to see Expendables 3. The Expendables 3, um, uh, when did I see that? Last week, I think, or the weekend. Um, we've talked about Expendables 2 on a previous podcast. It was one of our new release reviews. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember we all kind of generally agreed that it was quite good, actually. It was I, decent. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme was awesome in it. Brilliant. Um, as villain. Just in everything. Yeah. Of course well, yeah, it obviously. is. Um, Just yeah. goes without saying. It was, and, and the state was good. And, yeah, no, it, it, was, it was... And um, I think you uh, said this in uh, your feature that you did on the, uh, on the website... It was definitely better than the uber serious, taking itself far too seriously first film, which I found rather disappointing. I thought the second one hit the tone far more about the fact that, do you know what, it's about a load of old action stars getting together, sharing their one-liners and having a bit of a laugh. And that's what the second one did for me. Yeah, great. Okay, so I haven't remembered that. No, uh, no, no, you're right. No, we, I, we, yeah. we genuinely quite enjoyed it. Good. Um, but I know that you two, you and Carol... Are avoiding Expendables three, um, but I'll come on to that a bit later. Yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll come boycotting. On to that, I'm sure. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that after the actual. But I'll talk about yes. the actual film uh, itself first. I, um, I liked it. I'm gonna. I, I mean, I do like these sort of films anyway. I like Stallone. Um, I kind of like the idea of the Expendables of getting this group of old action action film heroes together again and giving them cheesy one-liners and over-the-top elaborate action set pieces to do. I quite I quite like that. That's all it is, though. I mean, if you're not into that kind of film, you're not gonna like Expendables three um, because there's nothing more to it than that. 
Um, but as it happens, um, the, the actual plot of the story is basically they've, they've continued it with the, the same crew um, who go on a mission and Terry Crews gets shot by the bad guy. And the latest bad guy is played by Mel Gibson, who is really good, actually. Um, there's a scene um, in particular where he's inside a truck and it's hard to sort of explain it without making it sound really crap. But he's inside a truck and he's just in- intimidating Stallone, he is just really menacing. I mean, Mel Gibson's performances have been a bit iffy over the years, but this is really just like, he's let go with this. He's just full-on psychopathic, and it's brilliant. He's really good. Um, but the rest of the cast are all there, so you've got the old people again, um, Statham's back, Lundgren's back, um, uh, Schwarzenegger's back, of course. Um, but then you've got uh, added... Uh, old action heroes who've not been in the, the, the series before, such as Wesley Snipes, fresh out of prison, straight into Expendables. Um, Antonio Banderas. Pardon? Is that his probation? probation That's, yeah, like, he was let especially to go and blow shit up and throw knives then at we'll people. See if you can his do probation officer is yeah. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a film. And they make a reference to it as well in the film. It's a bit like, "Mm, is that too far? No, that's fine. We'll let it go. Um, And yeah, Antonio Banderas is in it and he steals the spotlight, to to be quite honest. Um, As does Wesley Snipes, actually, in the the early part of the film. And Harrison Ford is in it as well, um, flying a helicopter, much like he would the Millennium Falcon. So there's lots of like references to the older films that they've been in. Um, Kelsey Grammer's in it as well, and he's pretty good. He has a little bit of um, humour rather than action to the to the yeah, proceedings. So he's not exactly. It's just actually. Uh, he's not exactly a well-known action star, is he? No. Well, when his best-known action films are X Men: The Last Stand and Transformers Four, yeah, I mean, he's not gotten there on merit from his action skills, has he? But um, right. as a, you know, he he adds a bit of humour to it rather than yeah. blowing okay. shit up, and he, he's really good as well at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got slight pacing issues. The film. Beginning kind of sets the bar a bit too high for them to maintain the momentum. Um, it starts off really just completely ridiculously over the top as they break out Wesley Snipes from his uh, imprisonment. And it's... Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a really good scene, actually. Um, and then it, it does tail off a little bit. It's only really Kelsey Grammer that keeps it going as the new young recruits are um are, are brought into the film. You've got Glenn Powell, uh, Ronda Rousey, Victor Ortiz, people I've no idea who they are. I've Kellen Lux Victor as well. Ortiz, but the rest of them I think Ronda Rousey is some kind of UFC for women. Right. You know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who Glenn Powell is, never seen him before. Kellen Lutz apparently is someone from the Twilight films. Um and he was also in the new Hercules film with Scott Adkins that I've not seen yet, um, which I've heard is absolutely fucking diabolical. Uh, but actually, Kellen Lutz, he was all right in this. He was quite good. He was the best of the four, but generally, they're really boring. And to be perfectly honest, nobody's watching Expendables to watch these people. You watch it to see Harrison Ford. You watch it to see Sylvester Stallone. You watch it to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just There's too much screen time given to these, these new guys, um, and they're not interesting enough. And it's only really then, towards the end, when Antonio Banderas again pops back up and he sort of takes over things and he's brilliant. And that's when it comes to life in the final act. And actually, the final act is tremendous. 
there's an actual like proper big explosive action sequence which you kind of expect from a film like this and generally they can be quite tedious and there's not actually anything going on you can't make it what's happening but they get everything really just spot on it's a really good action scene towards the end with every you know like in avengers where you've got loads of different characters all doing different things but you've got like a a firm idea of who is where and when who's doing what what their involvement is and you can actually see everything they're doing it's it kind of reminded me of avengers in that sense Um, like because you've got loads of these characters rather than transformers because <laughs> you can actually make out who's who and what they're doing yeah. um for a start and there's some good little um stunts in there so yeah it's i mean it's it, it is a really good um finale actually so yeah i mean i'd definitely be up for an expendables 4 or um the rumored expendables which casting hasn't been um announced yet if it's going to go ahead but you know that'll be the all female cast who, who so, would be in that then as like female action stars? You've got to have Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, obviously. Sigourney Weaver, yeah, yeah. probably. Linda Angelina Hamilton. Jolie, maybe. Linda Hamilton, that's a good one. Who's that um, Mexican lady who pops up in pretty much everything? She was in Fast and Furious, I think. Oh, yeah, I, know, I can see her face, but Michelle I can't Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yeah, yeah Michelle Rodriguez, it. she's bound to be in it. She's in. If you need a female action star, she's just pretty much the go-to one at the moment. Rosario Dawson? Um, Mm, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe. but you know, I'd be up for this. I think this sounds like a good film to me. I don't uh, think they're going to. Ca- I don't think they're going to cast you in it, Owen. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> no. Um, the um thingy who was in that Steven Soderbergh film. She's uh, what's her name? She played the female assassin. I can't remember the name of the film though. Oh yeah, and yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't remember. In Haywire, yeah, Haywire is the film. Oh, but Gina, um... Gina Caruso, no, it's something like that. Something Gina like that. Her, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Her, God, she'd be good. We're so pro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess what what I alluded to earlier um, is the fact that you two are boycotting it because it's a twelve A. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't see anything in it that had been toned down from previous films, except for the fact there wasn't any CGI blood. That seemed about the only difference. People still get stabbed. People are machine gunned left, right and centre. Do you know, that's my issue. That that is actually my issue, is the fact that it's not not so much about this film as such. It's the fact that our rating system is so skewed that if you cut out a few of the frames with some CGI blood, it's fine to show potentially a six-year-old because obviously 12 8. if it was just a straight 12 it might be a bit different but the fact is children younger than that can get in there it seems weird I, i'm like it, to me it just i'm just a bit unsettled by the fact that children under 12 could have if their parents choose to or if an older relative older brother or sister chooses to take them to sit seems a bit weird that that's all that's the only difference yeah, I, and I had this issue with Taken, uh, Taken Two as well. Um, mm. There's a lot of things that you cannot get away with in a 12A film. You cannot get away with, say, cunt. You cannot get away with um, certain sexual scenes and things like that. But you can get away with stabbing someone in the neck, shooting them in the face, and taking revenge on the people who forced your do- daughter into a life of sexual slavery. It just seems a little bit... I, I as think long as it's blood. 
<laughs> as long as there's yeah. no blood and as it's long as they don't fine. swear, it yeah. seems a little bit skewed and a bit weird. And it's the other issue I've got is this kind of how every film seems to be aiming for that 12 and it ties into this debate we had a little while ago I am mm. I think it's a bit sad that we are seeing the death of the 15 and the 18 rated films because there is a place for adult entertainment but a load of these films are aiming for that 12 but I would argue I, I, I genuinely love to know how many 12 to 15 year olds went to see Expendables 3 because I really think that there that isn't a demographic for this film. Loads of these people won't even know who the fuck Wesley Snipes is. No, exactly. Mm. And, mm. And, and I think, I, I, and I can see why Stallone has come out and made quite an eloquent defence of why his film went for that. I, I can see why he's done that. However, it didn't, I bet it didn't sound eloquent when he said it. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you only he said it's eloquent because it was written down. down. <laughs> <laughs> What it actually came out was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like David Beckham. <laughs> he but, can sound as eloquent as he likes on paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, yeah, I can see why he's done that because do you know what? He's he's loyal. The studio have backed him. He's clearly going to do them a favour by standing up for what is clearly a studio decision. Um, mm. And they think, well, if we go for twelve A, then we've automatically got a bigger audience to sell this movie to. However, I, I do think there, at some point there will be a backlash from grown-ups who like their films to be grown-up and go, stop watering down our films and give us the films that we want to see. For example, there are two people on this podcast who have said, for that very reason, I'm not going to see that film until, do you know what, the proper uncut version ends up on Sky Movies or something like that. Yeah. That, that's when I'll watch it. I'm I not going to watch an... this watered-down version which they've watered down for no reason other than to appeal to a demographic which isn't going to go and watch it anyway. Yeah, but, I think. But it's then just all really they've watered down cynical... though is the blood. So and it's the principle of the matter for. Yeah. The principle can. Yeah. The principle of the thing. It's the principle. Uh, uh, yeah, the fact is, and, and I think I said this for taking to. I know that's what they've watered down, but it's not the film that they made. They made a film. I want to see the film that they intended to make. And I think I said this with Taken 2, they are releasing a film that they know it has bits taken out that they they rather they didn't have to take out. If mm. they could get away with showing the blood for a 12A audience, they would. So they've taken yeah. out bits of the films they'd rather leave in. So that's why I'm not going to go and watch it. Because well, it I think it's the same thing again, though, is they've gone for a PG-13, isn't it, rather yeah. than and that, that's a 12A? The other, and that's the other issue, yeah, that the PG-13... Doesn't issues. translate. It doesn't well translate to a twelve to, a. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that that's another problem we've got as well, which does mean that we end up. But again, PG thirteen. That's the other issue is the fact that <laughs> kids are seeing this kind of stuff, but there's loads of other stuff they can't see in the PG thirteen, which I think is actually perfectly normal. You know, a bit of language. Um, a bit of, do you know what, a bit of nudity and stuff like that, I think is potentially less harmful than some of the violence, and more specifically the themes in these films, uh, that kind of suggest that violence is okay. So I'm not saying that kids are going to go out and copy all that, I'm not one of those who believes that kids copy everything they see on film, but I'm just confused as to why extreme violence is okay, but kind of two people having sex, and not even like full heart, yeah, but yeah, you know, showing a bit of stuff, people. Oh no, panic! 
and swearing. Oh, I'm drunk and I'm annoyed. Sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> I think it's fair it's to say we all hate now. ratings. Yes. If we could just have, for each film, just a little, like, pop-up on the menu, which shows you the parental guidance bit from IMDb, everyone would be much happier. Just sort oh, the actually, actual my, rating. My last, my last issue, actually, is I know that this isn't the demographic, and not necessarily for Expendables, but a few other films that have managed to get themselves down to a 12A those screenings aren't as much fun to be in as a grown-up who wants to go and watch a film as 15 and 18 films, which generally attract grown-ups. That's the other thing I'll say. Hmm. I don't want kids yeah. in my screenings of action films, basically. Yeah. Nobody wants kids in their screening of Dread. No. No. It's just awful. Well, The Raid 2, even. Two and a half hours of screaming kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. As someone who sat through a double bill of, of The Raid and The Raid 2 with... Ostensibly grown-ups, but someone who was basically like screaming throughout the whole thing. Every time someone broke a bone, he sort of made an audibly, an audibly <laughs> sickened sound. It wasn't particularly fun, to be perfectly honest. No. It did actually get as, as it went on, it got funnier. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I I can't be doing with that. I just think it's a horribly cynical uh, kind of stance to take, really. And yeah, I, I know that Stallone's come out with. Um, with, with a great defence of it, etc. But he has to because he's directed it, doesn't he? Mm. So, um, um, really well, take he's not pieces. directed this one. He he's not directed this one. one. I take it back. He's no. in it though, yeah. so he has to. He, he can't. I think he, he can't wrote it. it. He, he wrote, he, what, it. he wrote, wrote he, it. Okay. Yeah, he wrote the script. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's got to. You know, he can't come out and say, "Yeah, this is a load of rubbish." Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I, I just don't. I don't go in for any. I haven't seen the the twelve A remake of RoboCop. Total Recall. I haven't seen the last Die Hard. I won't be seeing this because uh, I just yeah, there's, the... there's no point. Actually, Total Recall is the only one of those that I've seen, and that was purely because we were doing it for this. You're right. I they, I, I didn't go and see Die Hard because it was I just couldn't be bothered eight. to yeah. be honest because the last one was so awful. Well, yeah, there's that as well. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was wasn't terrible. Just it was twelve eight <laughs> terrible reviews and yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same, well, but do you know what? Maybe those terrible reviews are because you've just watered down this compromise of a film rather than making a bloody good adult action film. That that was the least of the issues yeah, with Die Hard 5. But I honestly yeah. think that the um the kind of the adult not adult film market as I was just about yeah. to say. Uh the the kind of adult audience for the film for for films, I do think it's interesting. We we seem to be sort of graduating towards comedies because fifteen comedies are really uh, really mm. on the up. And it's amazing. I think the, the two highest rated comedies this year are both 15s. I think it's Bad Neighbours and 22 Jump Street. Which is... And, and obviously now the in-betweeners as well. That's doing phenomenal mm. business. Uh, somehow. And, yeah. And, and, and actually, think at 22 Jump Street. I'd, I'd much rather a 12-year-old watch 22 Jump Street than I would <laughs> something like Expendables or Taken <laughs> 2. Or so. that, 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 to me, shows how skewed our whole... The whole rating system is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best example um, that you can give with the rating system, especially in America, is for language. So there's this, uh, there was this film about two years ago. Uh, it was a Weinstein film called Bully. Bully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that got, I think that got like the highest. I think that got R rated. R rated, didn't it? Yeah, because, for because language, language. Even though it was more culturally important for kids to see that film. Than it is for Expendables three. Yeah. I think the King's Speech got it as well. I think the King's yes. Speech came down in in rating because it was meant to be a fifteen, 
and then they rate it 12A over here because they judged it to be... You can have... Culturally important. You're, yeah. yeah, you're allowed more than one fuck in a 12A if it's justified by the story. And it was justified by the story, but in, in the States they had the same problem where people yeah. were rating it higher. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't understand how you can treat those films where it's... it's well, in the case of Bully, it's, it's almost vital that kids see that, to be honest. Mm. And... And then say, but no, The Expendables 3 is absolutely yeah. fine. And, you know, Taken 2 is fine, as you said, with the daughter in a the, in the sex ring. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's all shut up a minute so we can have a break and then go <laughs> on to Triple Bill. <laughs> all right, Triple Bill now. Uh, and in in memoriam, in honour, whatever, of James's <laughs> last podcast, we're going to do a rehash of the first ever Triple Bill we've done, which was... Basically, Desert Island DVDs. Yeah, which not us picking. Not like who? Come on, let be honest again. Who actually thought when we mentioned this a week ago that you had to pick films that were set on a desert island? Matt. No. <laughs> Matt did. <laughs> That's what Matt thought. I'm sure someone else yeah. did as well. I'm sure it was someone. No. Here. no. It was you, wasn't it, Carol? No. How many even oh. are there? <laughs> Apart from Castaway. <laughs> That's Matt, probably it. Matt lives on the Isle of Man, though, which is pretty much a desert so island. So everything's just set on island yeah. by default. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, that was that was the three films we take to um, watch on a desert island in the whole history of film. Yeah, um, that's it. But this this one is the three films we'd take to watch if we were only stuck on a desert island that we've seen since we started doing the podcast, or since the podcast started, because yeah. obviously not everyone here has been on the podcast since the podcast started. Just me and you, Steve. Just me yeah, and you. Just the, uh, You're going to be the only the... original one. It's like Sugar Babes. Uh, they'll get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then there'll be three people who weren't the original ones. And then me, you and Jerry. I might have said this before. I don't know if I ever said it on air. I prefer, I prefer, me... to, think of, I prefer to think of it as Destiny's Child rather than Sugar Babes, but... Let no, me, you and Jerry, start another film podcast and call but, ourselves like the new original Sugar Babes. Or but, but, <laughs> but if, no, because with a Destiny's Child analogy, it makes me Beyonce. Then <laughs> you, <laughs> you wish. I know. Yeah, we ain't ready um, for your jelly, and we're ready, Steve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I think Eve Owen has the, the films that were originally picked by us. Um, first time round. Yes, I'll start with your picks then. Um, you chose to start with Shaun of the Dead. Yep. That was your first choice. Then you had Independence Day. Yeah. As your other choice. Yeah. And your third choice, because you couldn't pick Mighty Ducks 2, um, because that was the middle of a trilogy, well, and no, that I, went against your rules. Yeah. So you picked Escape to Victory as your third yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, there's no point picking... One film that's part of a trilogy. If you can't take, if you're not going to take the whole trilogy, so. To be fair though, uh, Mighty Ducks Two is the best of the trilogy. If you were going it, to take one of those, it would be that one. It, and it does work as a standalone yeah. film as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, it only makes me want to watch three and one. <laughs> so yeah. So you you couldn't choose that, Jerry, no. who's no longer with us. He's alive, but he's alive, but he's no longer part of the team. Um. Well, he's part of the team. He still writes for the web. He's not a member of the current regular podcast crew. Yeah. There we go. That's, that's, he doesn't be. write for the website. You just find articles of his that no one published from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like it's true. It all counts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, he chose Airplane, which was going to be one of my choices, I think, but then I didn't choose that one. That's a little spoiler for what's coming up. So he chose Airplane, he chose Seventh Seal, um, the Bergman film, and... That was Jerry trying cho- to show off his kind of arty... Uh, well, if that wasn't Jerry showing off, choosing Pan's Labyrinth and then telling us because he can speak Spanish so he doesn't need subtitles, I'm pretty sure that was showing off. Yeah, that probably was. Actually. I'm that sure was... that Jerry saw The Seventh Seal the same way that everyone else did after watching Bill and Ted's Bogus exactly. Journey. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. And wondering where that bit came from. That's exactly how he got into it. Everyone else did. <laughs> Just admit it, Jerry. Yeah. Um, and uh, James... Your choices, do you remember what they were? I do. Uh, the Muppets movie. Um, yeah, the, the... which you'd only seen two days before recording the podcast That's as it. well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'll stand by that. Because uh, I have had to watch it a lot because my daughter got really into it. She just started loving Muppets Most Wanted as well. So that that kind of nearly made my list again. Um, <laughs> I think I had uh, Goodfellas, which I yeah. think I said at the time is one of those films that it's on ITV too quite often and I'll be flicking channels come across it and then that's it I'm watching it until it finishes whenever I come across it I absolutely love that film and I think I went best in show didn't I you went best in show you teased yeah uh, Spinal Tap and then switched I think I was just trying to say look do you know what I like some of these less popular Christopher (laughs) Guest films I think that was because this is Spinal Tap probably should have been my choice, but I wanted. To t- I think I just wanted to say to people, you should watch Best in Show. It's a bloody brilliant film. I, I do think it's pretty much the equal of Spinal Tap, but it's just nowhere near as famous. I love Best in Show. Mm, it's I, it's so it's so wickedly observed as well. I've been around when when I was a kid. My mum was kind of into these uh, dog shows, and so I've been around those sorts of people. It is it's completely spot on. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's terrifying. You recognise everyone in that in that film. <laughs> Yeah, so that was it. I wasn't around then, so I haven't got any choices to no. read out. No. Yeah, I didn't join until the fourth episode, I think. Fourth just, or just three. You just want a, a random uh, HMV Jean-Claude Van Damme box set to wash up, I'm sure. You'd be happy <laughs> yeah. about any uh, Jean-Claude take Van Damme that. films. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, yes. Uh, so on to the new choices and the films that we have seen since uh, the podcast began. Uh, so James, you can start us off here. Okay then. Um, let me just find my notes here. Yeah, I genuinely had to think quite long and hard about this. Um, obviously, couldn't just be the best films I'd seen in the last couple of years. The Act of Killing, for example, is probably the best film I've seen in the last few years, and I certainly wouldn't want to watch that <laughs> once a year, let alone kind of uh, <laughs> once a week or once a day. Um, also had to try really hard not to film my list with recent films, didn't you know? Because I have seen a load of new releases, and part of the reason I started the podcast and the site was to try and get kick my ass into going out to the cinema. Um, so I've gone for a bit of a mix of eras and genres and tone. And the first one I've gone for then uh, is Pumping Iron from 1977. Um, a few documentaries are in the running for this. Uh, the most likely other one would have been the utterly brilliant king of kong uh brilliant brilliant documentary but what i think is that pumping iron would inspire me to get into shape uh while i wait for my rescue um so that yeah it's it's got a practical purpose as well as being a brilliant brilliant documentary for those of you who haven't seen it shows the build-up and the competition to the 1975 mr universe uh which was for amateur bodybuilders and mr olympia which was for professionals 
the competitions in South Africa in 75 and it opens with a great undercard story of the rivalry between Mike Katz and Keith Waller who's king of mind games but then it really kicks into gear because we see Arnold Schwarzenegger in what is essentially his first ever film role going for his sixth consecutive because it correct me if I'm wrong Owen I think you know a little bit more than me um uh, Hercules in New York was after Pumping Iron, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 1969 or 1970, I think. And it was, it, that is a dreadful film. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely fucking awful. Um, it's not worth watching. Good. That, thank you. Um, <laughs> but in this, yeah, in this film, he is, he's glamorous. He's funny. He's a bit odd. He's surrounded by women and other bodybuilders. He's got a huge, um, group of people around it. I've just forgotten the word for a group of people that like what 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 do you call it? Entourage. Entourage. That's what I'm looking for. Um <laughs> but running up against him is Lou Ferrigno, who also became a movie star, nowhere near as big as Schwarzenegger obviously, who at the time is a partially deaf young man who trains in his basement with his dad. Um so yeah, it's this really <laughs> kind of David Goliath story, fascinating character study. But also a really tense uh, and at times exciting portrayal of a sport that amuses most outsiders. And I certainly have never had any interest in bodybuilding. But watching that film, I kind of wanted to go to the gym and get pumped up. So, um, so yeah, Pumping Iron's my first choice. And like I say, I also think it's going to be some good motivation for me in my alone time on the island. Um, you know you're not actually going on to this island. I'm, 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 I'm method podcasting. Uh, I, I, I spent the last week on a deserted island with a load of DVDs seeing what, what, what would help me most. Um, oh, I just looked over my collection. Oh, I see. And I, I probably thought about this. It's my last one. I'm going out with a bang. Um, <laughs> my next one is from 1988 and it's a film directly inspired by the podcast in a sense in that um, Jerry mentioned it when we did, I think, our second podcast, possibly third, I think second when our triple bill was child protagonists and Jerry's choice was My Neighbour Totoro and at that point I had never seen a Studio Ghibli film Uh, I decided on my island I needed something a little magical and a little fantastical to escape the drudgery of my isolated island uh, existence and I plumped for what's not only the first Studio Ghibli film that I saw but also the first film I took my daughter to see uh, which gives us some very very good hipster points as she grows up and everyone asks her what's the first film you went to see? Oh yeah, My Neighbour my neighbor Totoro is the first film I ever went to see. It's like, yeah, that's She won't girl. remember though, will she? She'll but I'll, I'll, I'll tell her over and over again. She's got a little cuddly Totoro and she's got it on Blu-ray so that'll stick. Um, and yeah, we've spoken about this film at length on the podcast. Uh, we did the Studio GB special and things like that. So I don't have much more to say about it apart from the fact that I, I just think it's one of the most beautifully animated and imaginative films that I've ever seen. I will never tire of that cute little fella, well, cute big fella's face, um, or fail to have a stupid grin on my face when the cat boss shows up. It's it's a brilliant, lovely, amazing film. The the music is awesome. Uh, all I would say, I I equally love um, Grave of the Fireflies, but that is a film I would not want to watch more than yeah. once every few years. No, I'll be definitely honest. not. So, um, so yeah, my neighbour Totoro, and then finally. I'm going to need some comedy while I'm stranded. And Alpha Papa actually came close to making this list. Just, you know, probably still the funniest film I've seen over the last couple of years. 
but I've plumped for The Intouchables, the uh, French comedy from 2011. And the reason I've recommended this film to, I think, at last count, I'd recommended this film to 20 different people, and every single one of them had enjoyed it in some shape or form. No one has ever... I've never recommended this film to anyone. They've gone, actually, that was a bit rubbish. And I can't think of any film like that that is so universally loved. Um, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm just going to say, let's ignore the sniffy critics who called it a subtitled driving mistake because they're, they're wrong. Um, and if you've not seen it, it's loosely based on the true story of a millionaire French paraplegic and his... Um, in the true story... An Algerian caregiver, um, but I think in the film um, it's Omar Sy who plays it, and he's an immigrant from Mali. I think um, the directors discovered this story while watching a documentary about them, which I now need to try and track down. I'll be honest; I love this film. It's a very brave move to invite the audience to laugh with rather than at people with disabilities. Um, I didn't see it. A lot of people have said it's a bit of a, a racial culture clash film, stereotypes and things like that. To me, it's a, it's a culture of classes. It's not race. and Class differences have always been right for comedy, in my opinion, as long as they're handed in a, handled in an even-handed way without any malice. And I think the film is like that. It's a genuinely really funny film. It's not a mean-spirited film by any stretch of the imagination. Also, it's got a cracking soundtrack, and I am going to need to get my groove onto Earth, Wind and Fire at late night on my island after a few too many fermented coconut milk cocktails. So this is going to be my late night grooving on down to a Boogie Wonderland film. So yeah, there's my three. And do you know what? I could happily watch those three every day for the rest of my life. Good, because you're going to, because you're stuck on this island. <laughs> There's no one coming to rescue me. <laughs> Seriously. No, oh, fuck. No, no. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, once once I've finished training the monkey butlers and building my shelter, I'm probably going to want to relax a bit. And I'm going to pick... With your monkey butler. <laughs> yep. Sexy. <laughs> your sexy monkey butler. Uh, so, yes, I've got... To... <laughs> You're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, so, first film that I'm going to select it's one that I mentioned earlier. It's a film that I've paid twice to see in the cinema, so it must be good. And that is The Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I knew it. I knew <laughs> you were going to take one of mine. I told you. Uh, so, yes, it's it's um, the latest cinema release from Marvel. It's only a couple of weeks old. Uh, based on not the most well-known comic book characters, but... It is unbelievably fun, unbelievably funny, has a great soundtrack, um, so if I could bring that along as well, that'd probably work quite well. Um, yeah, it's, like I say, it's just an unbelievably fun film. Um, James mentioned earlier Star Wars for a New Generation. I think it's a very different film to Star Wars, but I can see what people are getting at when they compare it to that. Um, like I say, I've paid to see it twice, and I could probably watch it quite happily every day or every couple of days yeah, I have no problem <laughs> so with it. to hesitate there every uh, day <laughs> I probably wouldn't watch it every... maybe, maybe once a week you've um... got to keep the monkey butler uh, <laughs> trained so... I'm, I'm going to be busy I'm on a desert island I want to get off I've got, <laughs> I've got plenty of stuff to be getting on with I can't watch films every day let alone three of them that's, that's, that's going to be you're not between... Owen are you let's be honest <laughs> 
That's going to be between you know six and ten hours of my day taken up watching films that I could be making a raft. Fair point. That's true. <laughs> you could be on up at like a really high cliff, could have fallen out of an airplane, landed on this top of this desert island. And raft's no good to you then. You just have to sit and watch Guardians of the Galaxy all day. <laughs> Why can't I go down to the beach on this island then? It's very steep cliff. Uh, <laughs> if only there was some sort of rope type thing you could fashion to get down the cliff. But it might take up what, like vital like a, like film a, like a viewing rope. time. Yeah, <laughs> but it might take up vital film viewing time. Exactly. <laughs> and then you've got to carry your DVD player and your 50-inch plasma down with you as well. It's just a nightmare. I'm just, I'm just presuming that everyone's got where a tablet, I, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, why would I be taking a 50-inch plasma that I couldn't plug in on this island <laughs> rather than a laptop that would still have some battery life left on it? Oh, you're just going to watch Guardians of the Galaxy every couple of days on, Owen, on Owen, that tap screen. Owen, have you ever been stuck on a desert island? It doesn't sound like you have. That's <laughs> a fair point. I can't remember a time I have been. Well, there you go. No. So stop talking yeah. shit. <laughs> uh, the next film I'm going to pick is... Um, is the next goal wins a football documentary that's going to keep me both thoroughly entertained and uplift me when these long nights of Owen talking shit and me <laughs> rough and I've been watching too many films is starting to get me down. Uh, a film that I was very nicely invited to a press screening of, which I don't get many of, um, tells the story of the Americans from our national football team who held the world record for the worst ever defeat in international football, losing 31 0 to Australia. Uh, and their bid to get their first win uh, in international football and become a bit more respectable. It's got some great characters in it. Um, it's a really uplifting story. It could have been so much by the books, kind of a plain, boring, dull documentary, but it's not by any means. And, um, yeah, it's going to make me want to do some keepy-ups on the beach, as it's set in a kind of an island location as well. Um <laughs> and it's gonna up and it's gonna uplift me when when I'm feeling miserable during monsoon season. <laughs> Desert islands have monsoons, don't they? Well, depends where they are in the sure. world. <laughs> uh, uh, the final film I'm going to pick is the second ever new release we reviewed on the podcast, and uh, that is Avengers Assemble, and pretty much for the same reasons that I picked Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've just got to scrub out two of my lists well, now. I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I won't say too much Maybe about that one. Maybe you just need to land on the same island and then... <laughs> we can just pull our resources. <laughs> I, oh, I, that was I, my I, fail safe as well. I've got to completely rethink my list, guys. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't talk too much about that one in case you want to talk about that one then, Carol. But trust <laughs> me, if we landed in the same, on the same island, I'd do your head in straight away. Oh, you, I know that. <laughs> you'd, have killed, you'd have killed me and stole my DVDs after half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sizing you up Hannibal style. No, I just think you'd just go mad and kill me. <laughs> just, just, just not so even for it. sustenance, just kill him. <laughs> just randomly. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so go on then, Carol, what were your films? Well, my films were. <laughs> um, 
I had a bit of a problem here because obviously we're only talking about uh, films since May 2012, isn't it? April, May 2012. But um, happily, I in the middle of that was a massive period of, of recuperation when I, when I was laid up after a knee operation. So I managed to watch <laughs> quite a lot of films in that time. Um, so I'm going to pick... Uh, my first pick is The Apartment, uh, which is a oh, Billy Wilder film with Jack mm. Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine in it. And essentially Jack Lemmon is a... Um, a young guy in a big, big company who's trying to kind of curry favour with his bosses, and he hits on the idea of of lending out his apartment to the to these bosses for uh, illicit affairs, and um, things get a bit complicated because he meets this girl that he really likes, and then he has to obviously explain the fact that there are constantly people in his apartment, basically having sex, but obviously they're not allowed to to tell you that because this is 1960, um, and it's just really, really funny. I really, really enjoyed this film, and Shirley MacLaine is just adorable. And also, um, just it was really nice to have a, a love interest that's not just like a dolly girl. She's um, quite an interesting character in her own right, um, and it just it really makes me laugh. And I think I would need to probably laugh, especially if I was on a desert island with Steve. Let's face it, because he wouldn't he wouldn't be making anyone laugh, not intentionally anyway. <laughs> And, um... You're right, though. She's a brilliant, brilliant character in it, and um, yeah, no, utterly, utterly brilliant film. Uh, I think I, I what I, this was nearly on my list as well because I watched that for when I was doing decade in film in the sixties, like so. I watched that about a year ago, and no, I absolutely loved it. Great film. I think the first time I saw it was actually it was definitely within the last two years. It was at a. Um... BFI uh, members uh, screening, so every month a, a member of BFI uh, selects a film that they want to see, and, and this was it for one of them. Um, and I liked it so much that I, I did watch it again, probably about two weeks after I saw it, but I saw it in the cinema for the first time, which was really nice. Obviously, seeing that sort of thing with an audience is lovely. Um, just seeing where they actually laugh is always is always quite good. Mm. Um, so the second film then, uh, that's all right, I'm just trying to rewrite this on the fly. <laughs> um, I think I'm, got, well, the problem I had was, um, there were, as you said earlier, James, there were quite a lot of films that I liked, but I wouldn't necessarily want to watch on a desert mm. island. So I had Moon, and then I realised it's about a guy by himself. And, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not particularly, yeah. gotcha, doesn't end particularly easy. well, yeah. so that could really kind of mess with your head. Um, which is a shame, because I really like Moon. Um, so instead <laughs> I went for, <laughs> instead I went for, um, Zatoichi, which is a Japanese samurai film. And it has, uh, Takeshi Kitano, who's probably the most famous Japanese actor outside of Japan. Uh, also known as Count Takeshi from Takeshi's yeah. Castle, obviously. <laughs> I'd, I'd hope yep. that a box set of the complete Takeshi's Castle would also just wash up on this island as well. <laughs> that would be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. If anything, you could just kind of try and recreate them, especially exactly. the high rollers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's a blind samurai and he uh, turns up in a village and everyone needs his help and, it, and basically just kicks all sorts of arse. Uh, and it's it's actually quite funny for a samurai film but it's it's got amazing action in it there is a little bit of the cg blood syndrome but it's it's not it's not as bad as it first expendables put it that way but it's just a very kind of entertaining couple of hours and i really like takeshi katano as well i think he's fantastic uh it's so great that, sound in that as well yes I mean, the, 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 the use of sound is just 
it's like nothing else I've seen, I don't think. Yeah. Well, maybe Barbarian Sound Studio uses it in a similar way, and it's just a really just overpowering... Not overpowering, it's just really good. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, the way they kind of get it across, because obviously he's a blind swordsman, mm. so he's going to be relying on sound most of all. Exactly. The way they get yeah. that across is just fantastic. So my third one is uh, Avengers, <laughs> which uh, we don't call it Avengers Assemble in this in this house, I'm afraid. It's just Avengers in, in I've this house. I've never heard of it. What, Avengers Assemble? Yeah, never heard of it. No, my my cop- <laughs> my Blu-ray says Avengers, and that's and that's that's how it is. Um, is that the one with Roger Moore in it? That's right. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and interesting Uma choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know whether people are familiar with this film. Uh, basically, uh, there's a MacGuffin and it gets stolen, and loads of it's basically Marvel team up uh, in cinematic form. And it's just, it's so good. I, I actually watched it a couple of weeks ago, um, just to see whether it actually still held up as my favourite Marvel film after Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd say it does for now, but only just. And I probably would have picked Guardians of the Galaxy if someone else hadn't picked it first. <laughs> so which, um, of, which of the Infinity Stones is the MacGuffin? Uh, the Mind Gem. Right. Well, actually, no. Loki Scepter is the mind gem, and the Tesseract. I don't know which one the Tesseract is. The, um... the Tesseract is the powered. Oh, I can't no, remember which one it is now. Oh, I don't know. I'm getting confused. With it doesn't really matter anyway, does it? It's, it's not going to matter no. for about They're four years. Love soon. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. I think I wrote Avengers was also really close in mind, obviously, because um, it's just Whedon uh, script, uh, brilliant performances. And I think I mentioned in my kind of goodbye blog that I wrote for the site, it has, it. if we've got a catchphrase on here, it's, well, that's been the best comic book film since The Avengers. You know, I'm, I'm hmm. very, you know, we hold it as the standard to which all comic book films now are judged. And I'm, and as much as I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought, I still think Avengers is the more complete film. Uh, I I think it is, but only just. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why I rewatched that, it to see yes. whether that still held up. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, and and also, and it's not just the film itself, which is brilliant and um, has one of the best villains we've seen in modern comic book film. Oh yeah, solid modern film history. You know, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is fucking incredible. Um, you know, really loads of good actors. But actually, what it represents, and that is Marvel took a massive punt. And it's really easy now, in hindsight, to go, oh, look at Marvel's money-making machine. Uh, you know, the Marvel is a license to print cash now. But that they set that up, and, and the payoff of setting up those Phase 1 films and then paying it off with Avengers was actually really brave at the time, and it has com- it's, it's changed uh, modern blockbuster history, and... And and what I love is that it was a genuinely brilliant and kind of a, a breath of fresh air film that did that. Yeah, I agree with you about the villain thing. I think that's that's actually what I was going to say is that's one of the areas where it's better is that it's got a good villain with a reasonable um, plot. Yeah. Basically, you can see you can see where he's coming from. Although it's not really fair because he's had, because they had one more film to set up Loki yeah. and everything. So maybe that's not a fair comparison. 
Um, but yeah, I remember, and, and to be honest, the, the trailer didn't look that great. Mm. Uh, I remember sitting down in Odeon Wimbledon being absolutely terrified that <laughs> this is going to be awful. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, definitely not. Okay, and uh, Owen, which three Japanese films have you picked? <laughs> Come on, uh, very good. Good, surely. <laughs> well, I kind of tried to treat this triple bill a bit more seriously than I have some of the others that I've done over the past few years. So the three films I've chosen, they had to be something that, um, well, obviously that I really liked, but something that didn't like rely on gimmicks to generate cheap thrills. So perhaps Paranormal Activity or Hard Boiled even. Stuff like that I couldn't choose. Stuff that I kind of relies on being funny because the jokes will get old. I thought, uh, you know, it would get very repetitive quite quickly if you're stranded on a desert island. So most comedies are just out straight away. Um, and the final stipulation was that they all... Uh, they couldn't all be a build-up to a twist ending. If it was a twist ending, and you watch that like three yeah. times a week, you'd just be bored of it straight away. So those are the only kind of things I kind of, uh, tried to impose on myself. Um, so with that, my first choice ended up being a film um, that I have talked about on the podcast a few times um, in the past. Uh, it's 1928 silent film, The Passion of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer, uh, who I did sort of talk about recently when I was absolutely slate in his film Gertrude I didn't really enjoy that but Passion of Joan of Arc is pretty much as close to perfect as a film can be I think um, René Jean Falconetti uh, plays Joan and um, as she's mercilessly tried by selection of these bigoted um, biased um, pretty pretty disgusting bunch of zealots who are baying for her blood basically and the film's it's just I mean it teaches you something new every time you see it and I failed to see how being stuck on a desert island with a film like this could just ever bore you. Um, it's just, it's brilliant. It's, ma- it's basically a blank canvas, and what you see is your own uh, um, interpretation of what's going on. So it's, it's brilliant. I think it's just an absolutely fantastic film. Uh, and not Japanese, either. Uh, so my second choice, um, I think, will probably cause a few grumbles and murmurs. On the podcast, but then it's a triple bill, and that seems to be what my <laughs> stick is. Oh to um, yeah, so <laughs> it's probably not one of my favourite films ever. Um, it's definitely not one of the best films ever made either. Um, but I have seen it three and a half times since its release in 2013, and I think it just gets better with each viewing. And I already liked it the first time around anyway. And I think I was the only one who liked it as well when we reviewed oh, it. Dear. So if you kind of haven't guessed by that, I'm referring to Ben Wheatley's film, A Field in England. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I, I really, really like it. I, I think it, absolutely, it just absolutely fascinates me. Um, I think the, the trippy nature to the way it's made is fascinating. The way it's just so bizarre um, is great as well. I really enjoy that. And I think it's maybe a little bit gimmicky with its effects. Um, but there's something about what's actually going on um, just keeps me glued to it every time and there's, there's humour there that makes me laugh but it's not just an outright comedy I think the characters are really like um, individual uh, and it's quite dark, it's really dark and bleak and I'd love to tell you specifically what makes it dark but it's more of a feeling mm. or an intuition than anything that's certifiably dark so yeah, I just love it and like I say it's one of these films that every time I see it I see something new in it. To be fair, this is a um, personal triple bill, so yeah, that no, I can I can get that. I, I I I genuinely do slightly fear for the sanity of anyone who would want to watch that repeatedly <laughs> or alone or not. Maybe. 
<laughs> Possibly. But I think it's quite a, 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 an original film, and it's just... Um, like I say, you pick something else up every time you every time you see it. So I think if both of those two films, though, are quite cynical about humanity as a whole, if I want something a bit more um, uplifting or maybe optimistic about life uh, for my final choice. So it was a hard decision, though, because when flicking through the list of stuff that I've seen since starting the podcast, what I've kind of realised is what a misanthropic bastard I am. <laughs> and most of the films I've really enjoyed have been quite pessimistic. So I think that says something about uh, me as a person. But anyway, my final choice is a Japanese film. Steve, good guess. Um, but it's not Zatoichi, it's Ikaru by <gasps> oh, Akira I Kurosawa. Yeah. I'm still um, that. I, it was one of my favourite films that I've seen since we've started this podcast. Um, and I know it's about a man dying of cancer, so automatically you think it's quite pessimistic. But it's not. There's a real, like, warmth about it. Um, and it looks at, uh, at kind of all forms of life as well. So people from different backgrounds, what it means to actually be alive. It shows the side of humanity that's that's both ugly and beautiful. Um, and there's a lot to be learnt from Takeshi uh, Shimura's character. And the sudden awakening, the epiphany that he has about how he's going to spend his remaining six months. Um, and granted, it, it it may make me suicidal watching it on a desert island and realising I've no time to make the most of my remaining days. Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly heartwarming. It's eternally optimistic about the human condition. And I think that, um, yeah, that's all you'd need. And it's it, it's a fucking brilliant film as well. So that's my final choice. And I'm, yeah, I was certain nobody else would choose either of these three films as well. So that's... Um, a bonus. Hello. 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 Can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear yes. you. Yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. you just completely uh, cut out for me. I, I got all of that, but it doesn't matter anyway. Cause it's local yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I think mine still recorded it, so it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Okay, right. never mind. You'll just have to listen back to the podcast. I heard it all. It was lovely. <laughs> okay. okay. So then that was our, our triple bill. Um, on to some recommendations then for the next week uh, ahead. It wouldn't be James's last podcast if I didn't do this. Saturday afternoon, ITV are putting all their eggs in one basket <laughs> here and showing the mighty ducks at 20 past one. Amazing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what are you recommending? Um, I'm recommending a film on DVD, but it, it came out a little while ago, actually. It came out in July, but I only found out it was on DVD last week um, when I happened to see it in HMV, of all places. Um, the Battery. It's a, a, a zombie film. So, again, what kind of podcast would it be if I wasn't talking about a zombie film? It follows two former baseball players um, trying to survive a post-apocalyptic world. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of um, stuff there about these two people, how they survive, rather than being an outright gore fest. Uh, it's it's a very different sort of zombie film. So it's yeah, worth a watch. It's um, really really interesting. And Carol, um, I'm recommend. I'm also recommending a film that's actually just come out on Blu-ray this week and DVD. Uh, which is unsurprisingly Captain America the Winter Soldier came out uh, on Monday uh, apparently although my copy is in the post Zavi 
so I haven't actually received <laughs> it yet. So, um, yes, but I'm looking forward to watching it again. I didn't manage to get to see it more than once in the cinema. Uh, but, yeah, very good. I'm not going to give it away if you haven't seen it, because uh, I know people are sensitive about spoiler alerts, etc. Um, but it does move on the Marvel Universe in quite an interesting way, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it uh, how it all pans out and also improve agents of shield like fivefold in the process so <laughs> yeah. that was good okay and uh james uh, as it's my last one um i've just read my browser's just stopped working I, i'm still talking to you guys but my internet browser isn't working so i'm just trying to see if this is on um uh, netflix anywhere while i search for that on my phone uh i'm i'm gonna say you should watch uh, my favourite film of all time um, That that's my recommendation my favourite film of all time <laughs> if I haven't said it before is the Italian film from 1998 Life is Beautiful I haven't been able to watch it since I became a dad either um, at some point I'm going to brave watching this film as, as a parent uh, but it's available on Netflix in a huge amount of regions including USA Mexico, Colombia no, there was a Colombian Netflix, amazing. Uh, Denmark, low Netflix, but Life is Beautiful. If you've not seen it, it is genuinely one of the most moving films I've ever seen in my life. A beautiful comic performance from Roberto Benigni, um, and very much a film of two halves. One will make you smile, one will break your heart, and that's the film. If you've not seen it yet, go and watch that. Okay. Um, so that's pretty much all for, for this week's podcast. But before we go, um, James wants to say a few oh. words to, to the listeners. Before that, though, we did try and get Jerry onto the podcast tonight, but because I only emailed him this afternoon, logistically it was a bit difficult. Uh, but he did he did leave a message and just said to tell James simply, thank you for setting up uh, the podcast and the website and getting him involved for enhancing his appreciation of cinema and most importantly, making him watch Les Mis. Oh, <laughs> that was a genuine surprise when he came back on the podcast and said, do you know what, I bloody like that film. I think he ended up voting for it in his top three of the year as well. He did, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, yes, crack on, James. Do you know what, I'm, I'm, I've had a few whiskeys tonight. I've I've been... I was listening to REM's Everybody Hurts before we started recording. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a mess, actually. Um, I had a quick look at the, the stats before I came on. 121, this is the 122nd podcast, and we've had 19,500 downloads. Um, that's weird. Uh, I've been on over 100 of these things, and it's really bizarre to think that I started this just to have a few people to chat to about films. And and genuinely feel like I've ended up with some good friends, strange internet friends that I've never actually met, but friends <laughs> all the same, and hopefully we'll eventually get in the same room together and, and I'll buy you all a drink, you bastards. Um, I'll be honest, part of me is relieved to have a small amount of my freedom back. Uh, <laughs> but truth be told, I'm going to miss this hugely. There are a few people... I, I, Genuinely want to thank a few people. I want to thank Charlie Higson for that time that he said to fail critics and I could chuck it in front of a few podcasts. Um, Pappies, who were absolutely wonderful up in Glasgow. Um, people who've been on the podcast before, Jackson Tyler, Callum Petch, uh, my good Scottish friends Paul Fisher and Dave McFarlane, both wonderful 
um, wonderful blokes who got me very drunk and we played fishing in a pub. Great fun. Uh, Matt Lamborn, who recommended Rampage and Condor Mantelin. <laughs> and Matt Lamborn, has, I, I swear, has been responsible for half of our website views over the last couple of years. He's a super, super bloke. Um, Jerry McCauley, who I missed dearly. Carol, thank you for coming on and kind of helping take this podcast forward. I really appreciate you doing some brilliant work there. Owen taking over the site, being a genuinely, genuinely lovely bloke and great fun to talk films with. And Steve for being there from the beginning and you'll be there till the end, I'm sure. Um, on I'll every... bring it I'll bring it down around me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve was the man who put his hand up and went, Do you know what? I've done a podcast on my Yeah, you want to do a film podcast, I'll help out. And uh, yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Steve. And that's a bizarre thing to say, isn't it? Uh, I also just want to very, very quickly say thank you to my family, my amazing wife, Kate, and my children who have put up with me doing this, including the time that I recorded a couple of podcasts from in my car because I didn't want to disturb my children, my daughter, as she slept. So I recorded in the, in the depths of winter from my car. That was an interesting time. And thank you very, very much to anyone who has ever downloaded a single episode of this. You've made me a ridiculously happy person. I just want to... Because um, I, when I write the little bits for the um, for the blog, I like to uh, I like to take a few film quotes and stuff. So I, I, I've just messed around with the film quote here. Uh, I was thinking of last film quote. Yeah, the, the last bits from films. And uh, I just want to say that I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Cack, shit like Danny Dyer in front of your wife. <laughs> I watched David Bowie glitter in the dark near Horse Guards Parade. All those moments will be lost in time like <coughs> tears in rain. Time to die. It's been hugely emotional and I just want to say thank you. But I, I, I'm... I'll, you won't keep me away for too long. I'll be back, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very good. Yeah. <laughs> not not very good at, at showing my gratitude to anyone for anything, but basically thanks, because I wouldn't have a, a an outlet to talk about films or have an excuse to go and watch them at the cinema. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. And it, yeah. Oh, seriously. Um, that's that's about the best you'll get out of me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just to kind of echo those sentiments, really. Um, I've said, I think I've said what I wanted to say in an email to you already, but just to kind of pull it on record as well. Um, you you kind of coaxed me into doing this a little I did, bit because I, I was slightly you, reluctant. Yeah, and I thought, well, should I? And I'm really glad that you you did in the end because I've enjoyed the past two and a half years immensely, and it's Aww. been great chatting films with you as well. Oh, cheers, Bella. Um, yeah, I know that I'm I, well. Obviously, the newcomer. I've been here less than a year. Uh, it's and it's almost a year actually since I uh, started. I think it was nine months ago uh, when I said. Yeah, well, if you don't have anyone going to London Film Festival, then I'll then I'll do something for yeah, you. Of course. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it just sort of went from there, really. So it's been a pleasure. But um, yeah, I'm not going to get too kind of emotional about it because I know that you'll be back <laughs> at some point, probably in about two weeks <laughs> when you're when you're bored yeah. <laughs> and you've or seen when, Lucy, or when, or when Kate's fed up with you, wants you to piss <laughs> off for an hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, when Lucy comes out, yeah. I think uh, 
you, you like a bit of Luke Besson, and, and yeah. you'll be begging us to come back. <laughs> yeah, you won't get very far, I'm sure. It's in a Godfather Three is an absolutely fucking appalling film, but it did give us a quote just when I thought I was out. They pulled me yeah. back in, so you've just kind of got to bear that in mind. <laughs> okay, um, well, yeah, that's all really for this week's podcast. Uh, James might be leaving, but the show will go on, and the rest of us will be back around this time next week with another podcast for you. And now it's all over. And that's the hardest part. Today everything is different. There's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce, and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody get to live the rest of my life like a schnook.